search. Each man different, living his own way, searching, discovering numero uno. Welcome, BBCs, to episode number 157 of the Broken by Concept podcast. This is our second episode we've done with Riot Froxon. He's the lead designer at Riot Games on the league balance team and also works on preseason changes heavily, focused only on Summoner's Rift. So we're going to be in heavily into the details with that. Because what would you say our first episode was about? Would you say it's more? it was more high level sort of stuff, how the balance team works, how they think about balance. It was more about Riot and and how they actually think about changes, right? It was more like, how do they come to decisions? All right, we want to do this. How does the process work? We sit around a board table, we do all this crazy stuff. We didn't know anything yeah. about it, right? How many people were on the team and all that yeah, sort of stuff. Yeah, we're more thinking about like high level, what's their process. This episode is going to be a lot more focused around the actual details, the actual changes, specifically what's happened this season um, and getting Riot's take on a lot of the changes. Yep, so this is very educational for us, and I think this is really interesting. We'd love to get uh, Froxon's you know, philosophy, how Riot are thinking about all these changes. Obviously, the community are very outspoken about balance and stuff like that, so these are, I think it's really good to just get you know, get in touch. Get see into what's, the details. What's going on, you know, what, where, and where can we maybe... We, we can help as you know, potential high-level players as well. So let's get into the details, guys. All right, so first things first, Proxon. The the recent, I'll call it, is it phenomenon, static shift, Proxon. <laughs> what is going yeah. on? League of static shift. We're coming after you with some pitchforks. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess these are all the questions here around this. Um, sort of like, what's riots? What's your end? What, what what did you guys think of like this change? Did did you expect it to have this big of an impact on the game? Um, was there like a situation at the office? Everyone's like pushing the panic button. We got to go like crazily, you know, like we got to nerf this out. Like what's, what's sort of, what was going on, you know, with the whole static shift thing? Well, I mean, I think the whole thing was, it started with, I guess Bob Chin was like experimenting with it. I, I, that was the first that I heard about it. Um, and then we were like, oh, he was like, oh, this thing is kind of broken, but like, you know, YouTubers will generally make exceptional claims about this type of thing so it's like look at a bit of the gameplay um so he's the leblanc guy right and we were kind of he's the leblanc guy yeah. yeah um and you know like from the design standpoint the intention of the item is that it would be good for ad champions but uh we also recognized that we needed kind of a bridge to ap attack speed champions because you know those champions only have nashes and rage blade basically and we wanted to have uh, an, another um, attack speed item that AP champions could use. So this would be, you know, AP Varus, um, Kale, Kaiser. Uh, you know, if Cogma wants to go an AP build, we wanted to kind of leave the grounds open for experimentation because that's kind of where a lot of the interest in the game comes from. Like, you know, someone will just discover a build like Bob Chin did. Uh, and, you know, it drives a lot of conversation and a lot of excitement and that type of thing. So it's like, you know, our goal is to kind of ride the sweet spot of having somewhat balanced content while also having exciting content. And those are sometimes in conflict, right? Like having exciting stuff often gets abused in ways that might not be originally intended. Um, so we kind of saw that was taking off. And so the first thing we did was look and see, okay, well, is this a LeBlanc issue or is this a static shiv issue? And is it actually overpowered or is it just 
you know, exceptional. Like if there's if there's gameplay that we don't like about it, like what don't we like about it? Um, and initially, it didn't seem like on the surface it was overperforming, um, but that was because a lot of people were not particularly proficient with it. Yep. And as people started to learn how to use the wave clear in particular to get a lot of tempo and resets and, you know, like roaming around and stuff, um, it started to get a, a little more degenerate. And then also the LeBlanc cases in particular, where she would charge it up very quickly, especially on the snapback, because that just counts as moving like, you know, 60 charge worth of distance. Let's say she snaps back to her W or if she's like casting W forwards, it's like 20 to 30 charge, right? So she was charging it a lot pretty quickly. And so we're kind of like, okay, okay, well, it seems generally limited to uh, LeBlanc and Kaisa, I believe at the time, being the overperforming champions with it. And everyone else was like kind of within bounds, like Teemo, Corky, you know, like we wanted these champions to be able to use it. Um, and I think you saw Quinn seem... top a bit more. Mm. Quinn top and then Zoe started building it. Oh, really? Zoe, Zoe started building it. Yeah, it didn't seem. I mean, it's 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 clearly for champions that are like uh, need to subvert their wave clear weaknesses, like Zoe being an obvious one, LeBlanc being a, a pretty obvious one as well. Um, so we're you know kind of looking at that, and it's like you know if AP Cannon wants to build this item or whatever, like that's cool. Like it's probably not going to be better than Rocket Belt, for example. But like we wanted um, champions to be able to do that. So that's kind of how our investigation panned out and we kind of decided that uh only really leblanc and kaisa and i guess you could kind of say zoe were performant with it um and everyone else was like within bounds of what would be considered their normal best items what's interesting is that you know the item fundamentally attacked a very very tricky uh to balance aspect of the game, which is wave clear, right? Like wave clear is such a sticky thing because it's not immediately raw power. It's kind of like, you know, cause when you think of wave clear, you're not really doing damage to someone. You're not really exerting anything onto someone else. It's more, how does that wave clear? Like, cause champions who lack wave clear typically have other areas inside their kit that make up for the lack of wave clear. That's why, you know, it's a balancing mechanism. I'm assuming a champion that has a lack of wave clear inside yeah. the kit. So when you kind of add in this item that fundamentally adds or solves the entire wave clear problem like that of LeBlanc, it immediately kind of ramps up all of the other strengths of the champion because now LeBlanc doesn't have to you know, use her W on the wave anymore. She can then auto attack the wave, explode the wave, and then use her abilities on the enemy now. So it kind of had like a compounding effect on a lot of these kits. From from one from the outside, it seemed like Riot didn't immediately understand how to what degree. Because I, look, I, I I see where you guys were coming from, hundred percent. Like it, it's like a creative item. It does solve some problems like that of a gale force. But when we talk, we're having this conversation, whether it's prowlers, whether it's gale force, whether it's static shiv, when you're actively solving a very key problem or a weakness of a champion, it, it gets very sticky. Champions kit. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're giving like, for example, your yeah, gale force. I think about the introduction of gale force in, in, in league of legends. Like I remember distinctly when gale force got introduced, the first thing that really came to my mind when I was playing Oriana at the time, I'm like, wow, my champion is so much weaker just off one item. Not because the item does more damage or anything, but I can't land. My, my threat of the ball with Shockwave now is completely nullified. That completely changed 
Oriana's effectiveness into so many champions. So there's this very sticky kind of compound or, or like extra effects. Do you have any kind of comment mm-hmm. comments on that? Yeah. So I mean, you know, there's a ma- there's a matter of degrees, right? And it's it's a topic that we discuss a lot internally, which is like how much uh, we kind of call it like game warping power or pattern warping power should an item have, right? And this was a, a big discussion during mythic items, for example, because you know. Previously, the limit, I would say, was probably something like Hextech GLP or Hextech Gunblade, like previous to the item rework. I would say those are probably like the most pattern warping items. Like you would say, for example, Ari's kit is designed around being able to hit your charm and using your spirit rush to be able to land up, land, line up your charm, right? And then, you know, when we release GLP, suddenly the person can't move. So then, you know, like they're, they're just getting hit by the charm, right? But it's like... It's up to players, basically, to determine whether that's okay um, and the extent to which that's okay. So, for example, like Prowler's Rek'Sai uh, was a thing for a long time, and I know Nathan played a lot of Rek'Sai, but it's yeah, like, you know, Prowler's Rek'Sai, is that too far? Or, like, mm. Prowler's Pike, for example, right? Like, is that too far of a, mm. um, you know, solve for the champion's kit? And it's like, it's unclear, right? Like, there's no formula for this is too far or this is not too far. Like, you could you could say, hey... Um, Fiddlesticks or Morgana with Zonyas, right? Like that's that's too far, right? Like right. they shouldn't be allowed to go invulnerable in combat. But you know, like the community has accepted that. It's become a cool thing for those champions to engage in. And ultimately, you know, the kit gets balanced around it. So I mean you're correct in that, let's say for example, like LeBlanc's single target damage is significantly higher. And so if she gets to solve her wave clear, then she's probably gonna get overtuned, right? And similar to Zoe, right? Like Zoe's single target damage is incredibly high. Um, and you know her weakness is she doesn't have a lot of wave clear. She doesn't have a lot of like fallback mechanisms. So if she gets behind. She's like super screwed, right? Um, so it does solve those aspects of a champion's kit. But with the items, we're just generally thinking, okay, well, how much is too far? And we have this set of like fundamental gameplay principles, like counterplay, um, you know, moment to moment action, like satisfying button presses, choice, like satisfaction. All of these core fundamental gameplay principles that we're trying to evaluate every time we you know release one of these types of items or new choices into the game Um, yeah we just need to kind of make a judgment call of okay well is this too far and i think in in shiv's case we're like yeah you know once you get a bit of ap and you can one shot the casters with one auto so you like don't need to be near the wave really like that's a bit too far right (laughs) and we thought that main maybe the having to purchase ad and the crit like you're wasting basically you know, 1,600 gold worth of stats, basically. It's like, you know, that's a pretty significant trade-off um, to take. But it's like, yeah, you know, it didn't end up being enough for LeBlanc in particular. Um, but I think for most other champions, it's probably pretty reasonable. Like, we want that kind of hybrid AD, AP-style item in the game. So, Broxon, you said um, the stats weren't really showing that much. So in terms of your process, like knowing that like something that's the community, like are you looking at Twitter or like Reddit? Like, is that the first thing that you saw? And then it was the start? Because you said that stats weren't, how does that work? Uh, So normally, you know, last time I talked about, we had this um, kind of state of the game meeting on Mondays uh, where we basically reviewed the state of the game and everybody brings their findings and then we kind of discuss it as a group. And then ultimately, like I'll make the final decisions on most things. Um, so I'll also do like a bit of investigation of my own, um, but each person, uh, you know, we have one person per role that 
brings findings for their roles. And it's like, you know, it's something we talked about. And we were like, okay, uh, in this particular case, it's like, okay, the first thing that the person does is they would look up, okay, who is predominantly buying this item, right? Like we have a lot of internal dashboards that, uh, you know, we can look at and be like, okay, in order, this is the number of people who are purchasing it at different skill brackets. And it's like, oh, actually like in Elite, uh, which is, you know, Masters Plus, a lot of LeBlanc players are buying Shiv a lot more than Ludens. Like if you were to look at like gold or something, like, you know, the, the pick rate was like one third of what the Elite players were doing. So we're like, okay, well, this is probably going to catch on. And then we look at, you know, the actual performance of the item relative to other items. So it's like when Elite players are buying Ludens versus when elite players are buying static shiv, like how much performance difference is there, right? And, you know, we have a lot of other different item dashboards where it's like, uh, you know, look at how they perform when they're ahead and look at how they perform when they're behind at certain time frames and this type of thing. Um, so we do that investigation and then we're like, oh, okay, well, it doesn't seem super out of line. You know, it's probably, we had a suspicion that it was going to be her best item on that patch. Um, but that's okay. Champions have best items on patches, like when we release them. Like that's not a bad thing. Um, I think at the time, even elite players had not fully optimized it, um, and so you know we kind of made a. I, I can't remember whether we patched it immediately the next patch or we let it sit. For, I can't remember. I, I remember it took a while remember? for it to get. That's that was the only th the only criticism I had. It felt like it was around for too long. At least the, the hot fix anyway, or the, the patch, sorry. Because I think it did, didn't it? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I thought it got like a miniature hot fix and then it got actually changed or did it never get hot fixed? I have a feeling we didn't hot fix it. Um, so, oh, the other thing that was kind of a conflating factor was that the actual um, item for AD champions was underpowered. Oh. So on release, Shiv was quite bad and it continued to be quite bad. Um, and we kept trying to buff it in its unique aspects, which was its wave clear, right? <laughs> and then that, that's eventually what, like, the straw that broke the camel's back. So I think, <laughs> you know, like, in that sense, you know, it was under it, under-adopted, and yeah, I'm just taking a look. Yeah, that's, that, uh, that's, that's interesting. I actually had a question. We'll get to it later. Actually, I think it makes sense now, because while we're on this topic, so someone in my Discord actually... Um, had this question. He was saying how, you know, one thing he, he hears repeated a lot in the league community is that um, there are champions who are played more by quote-unquote like mains than casuals, like an Akshan or a Quinn or a Riven. Um, and these yep. champions can have an inflated win rate as a result. Um, is there any truth to this? Or, or is this just kind of like community... Um, you know, hodgepodge essentially. And does the balance team in fact take that into account that the champion has a broader niche player base when they're making balance changes? Yeah, one of my pep projects over the last year or two, a year and a half has been to very extensively um, research this topic. Uh, so, you know, I wanted to find out basically, uh, let's say, for example, you were playing Ariana and, uh, a silver person in your mid lane academy was playing Oriana. I wanted to understand what the difference is between you and the silver player playing Oriana would be. And I wanted to understand what the difference is between a pro player and that same silver player playing the Oriana. Because like we know that elite 
elite play and pro play are pretty different, right? Um, the other thing that was lumped into this was uh, trying to figure out how much impact uh, someone playing their main champion or maining a champion has on the win rate. Because, you know, like when I look at, let's say, Yasuo's win rate on an external site, uh, it is generally true that uh, people playing Yasuo, there are more, there's a higher percentage of people playing Yasuo at a higher mastery level than lower mastery level, right? Like you would consider those players to be mains. However, um, those people are, you know, a small percentage. Like, let's say, for example, uh, I'm just giving a rough approximation here, but I believe it's something like. Uh, 15 or 20% of people are playing a champion above like 100k mastery or something like that. Um, and so even if those players were performing really, really well, um, they wouldn't have as much impact on the win rate as you would expect, mm -hmm. right? And in fact, the vast majority of people who are playing champions in ranked, <laughs> probably in your experience in coaching, are in the 0 to 10k mastery range. So you know, like 30 to 40% of people playing a champion will be in the, you know, zero to 15 games range of playing a champion. And that probably matches your coaching experience as well. So the the outsized level of performance increase for the win rate that you get from being above 100k mastery or something like that, what, what you would consider a main, right, um, is is pretty much offset by uh, the the people like first timing that difficult champion and, and failing, right? right? And for the most part, uh there is no like I, di I did this research like pretty thoroughly um the only champion who had a positive effect on win rate was katarina and is that the effect with, was with only 0.4 percent sorry you're saying with mastery yeah. yeah so this is um so what what you would consider a main is like oh i've played the champion a lot right um which i generally use as a proxy for mastery because you know you just get mastery from playing right uh, obviously you're going to get a little more if you win um, but generally speaking, the only champion that actually has a positive effect on win rate for mastery is Katarina, and Evelyn is close. It's like, you know, 0.1%, and Katarina is something like 0.4%. So the amount that, um, basically, her mains, or let's say people from like 25k plus mastery or something, they're offsetting the people that are like failing on their like first zero yeah, to 15 so that's games the stats. Yeah, that's okay. warping the stats yeah. net by like 0.4 percent so that's like the maximum amount that a mains would increase and most of them are negative because the zero to 15 games firstly there's just a way higher quantity of them of those plays and uh you know the, the amount of loss that you have compared to the actual champion's win rate uh is a lot more significant for a difficult champion so yeah all the, the coin people that are First, they, they play against the Katarina or an Evelyn. They said this champion's broken, and then they play it the next game. And it's their first time. This is where everyone says, don't be this Yeah, time. exactly. Chance, right? That's exactly. The people. This champion's broken. i got to play well, this. That's very interesting. So then, so with that piece of information, that stat you have specifically about Katarina, has that influenced the way that you think about balancing or altering Katarina? It has, yeah. Because previously, like, we wanted to think... We wanted to learn more about how players in aggregate, like perform on these types of characteristics and it's an ongoing piece of research right like i did this in my spare time so it's like it's not really um it's not really like uh one of our data analysts doing it but um i think my process is pretty pretty thorough in that respect but you know i'll track things like um the kda of a champion their kills 
um, their DPM, their GPM, the number of times they cast Q or W, um, and uh, the amount of damage that they've taken and the minions that they've killed, the damage that they've dealt and stuff like that. And then I can see the difference between, uh, let's say, a pro Zeri player, a elite Zeri player, a high mastery Zeri player, and just a normal Zeri player. And then I'll be like, oh, actually, um, Zeri players in pro play cost 27% more Qs by equivalent game time, hmm. or Zeri players in elite cost 17% more Qs, or something like that. And then that might give us some information on how we might want to adjust the champion in the future, uh, and things like that. Interesting. Going back to, I'm really curious about this dashboard that you talk about, Proxon. So like you said that, so everyone in the team like has like mm. a role that you focus on, right? So like, so let's say, so does one person have a role and they have a dashboard of all the champions in that role. And then someone has sees LeBlanc and then suddenly there's static shiv being built on this in master plus and then does the system like flag it or something like because there's too many champions in different no so the, the, this is an entirely different skill it's like have, are you familiar with um like lolytics or any of the team fight tactics like stats sites no i'm not i don't know yeah. <laughs> i really uh, don't go into stats much no okay, is that how well, it works well, on basically those like there are a lot of like external stat sites that um you know like team fight tactics is a good example but it's basically it can show you the um, you would have to navigate, you would have to know how to navigate the data yourself. Um, that, that's part of the skill of it. Like in many ways, like some of the designers that work on balance, like um, I think Freak in particular, Freak and myself, and then there's uh, um, another two people like Madness Hero and so on. Um, they are very good with data. And basically we have, I don't know, I want to say something like 50 different dashboards that tell us different things. And so it's a matter of knowing which dashboards to look at um, to understand what things you're looking for, right? So we have like a general one, which is like, okay, how is each champion performing at each different skill brackets, right? Like we have the four different skill brackets. We have iron to plat, plat to master, master plus and pro, right? So we have a dashboard that looks at the win rate, pick rate, ban rate um, of all the champions in the different skill brackets. Um, and we look at that one and we're like, oh, okay, well this champion is like OP for silver players or whatever. And then, so someone might do a further investigation on that and seeing, okay, well, what items are they building? When they build these items from ahead, how performant are they? When they build these items from behind, how performant are they? You know, like, uh, and, and this type of thing. There's there's basically like an endless list of things that you could investigate. Like if you wanted to kind of get lost in the data, you could. So it's it's a matter of like being efficient with what you're looking at and knowing what to look for. Yeah, that makes sense because there's so much there. I guess that comes with the skill of the job and the experience. Yeah, it's not yeah, just because, like Yeah, because everyone can access data. That's the job yeah. of a data analyst, all these people you can to manipulate data. While we're on yeah. the topic of items, um, so, you know, one of the goals, um, correct, me from, correct me if I'm wrong, for AD Carry this season was to um, try and make it such that their, their, their build paths were more diverse. Um, did you guys at Riot feel like you did a, a good job of this? Um, and has that actually worked out? I would say I wouldn't say making the build paths more diverse was the main goal. The main goal was to increase satisfaction of people buying the items. Like previously, we had, you know, uh, we had Shilber, Kraken, and um, Gale Force as the previous mythics, right? And Ultimately, well, firstly, we wanted to resolve one of the game health problems with shield bow rushing. Like, we didn't think that shield bow was a very um, sustainable design uh, to the to the point of the 
you know, conversation that we were having earlier, it probably pushed at the bounds of counterplay for some of the champions like a bit far. It is both simultaneously the best um, anti-burst item while having, you know, sustain made it, you know, quite difficult to um, present the champion with a weakness after they've snowballed. So for example, a Yasuo or a Yone or a Samira or a Draven or whatever, if they go shield bow and they snowball, you know, there's, there's not really any answer because the answer to um, sustain is burst, right? But then shield bow also solves your burst weakness. Yeah. So there's nothing systemically that you can actually do against that. So we felt like the item itself had a flawed design um, when it's rushed. So in the later game, you know, it's fine to have, you know, a shield bow or a Zonya's or a, a Bloodthuster, you know, this type of item. Um, but in the early game, it's like if this if this champion gets out of control, it's like there's really not much you can do about it systemically. And we didn't think that that was a good way for these champions to be balanced. And so, you know, there are a few little kind of things that we wanted to resolve with that. Um, and we also wanted to test out a different version of the mythic structure because we kind of decided, you know, after two years of having these mythics in the game, that it wasn't the optimal construction, I would say. Like... We wanted the mythic items to present more of a uh, this is how you want to play your character kind of thing. Whereas shield bow is not really a way you play your character, right? It's just mm. like, okay, you, you don't play your character around having a shield. You play your character around having big crit attacks. So you play your character around spell casting, or you play your character around having a dash with gale force. You play a character around playing prolonged fights with rage blade. You know, that was the type of mythic design that we wanted to try out. Um, and we wanted to see if players found that more satisfying. So that was the main thing. And then we wanted to resolve a few game health concerns and get rid of a few underperforming items and add a few items back as well. That, get, that brings me on to the mythic system. I want to ask you about the mythic Wait, system. Wait, but before we get on to that, when you were making you know, the adjustments to a lot of the AD carry items, were were like melee users like Yone, Yasuo, even like Belveth, et cetera, taken into account? Yeah, yeah, we definitely took them into account. I mean, it made them it made it a lot more challenging because yeah, there are some fringe users that also buy crit. Like, let's say for example, Viego or Master Yi, like that previously bought Kraken Slayer and, and mm. things like that. So we need to take those into account. Obviously, Trinomir we would need to take into account as well. And we also needed to assess whether players would find, especially Yone, Yasuo, and Trindamir more frustrating. Or not Trindamir, because he was already building Gale Force, but Yone, Yasuo, whether they would players would find those champions more frustrating when they were building Gale Force rather than building Shield Bow, right? Like, it's one thing to not be able to kill a Yasuo or Yone as, like, a victor or something, uh, but it's another thing for Yasuo and Yone to also have Gale Force and then, you know, be killing you. So it's like, you know, like, would players find that more frustrating overall? Like, we weren't sure. Um, so it's kind of just like a, a a bet that we decided to take with that. Yeah, because um, I think it's it's, it's interesting though, overall. because like I feel like um, Yone itemization after the changes become a lot less, a lot more linear in a way. Like I feel like before the changes, there were many more options for Yone players specifically. Like there was Shield Bow, yeah. there was you could go Gale Force, you could go Bork Rush. Um, there was like a lot of options, but now uh, since the changes, it almost feels like you're kind of tunnel visioned into it. You have like a lot less, I guess, diversity with build paths. Is that something that Riot is yeah. aware of right now with specifically Yone or I want to talk about I mean, Yone? I would Yasuo. say, I can't remember if it was Yasuo or Yone, but I did see there was some like Storm Racer purchases on those mm. champs as well um, for a time and Kraken for some time. So, I mean, I think 
also it's part of you know we'll, we'll eventually get to the champions and adjust them in the cases that they don't have you know compelling choices but ideally those items are also meant to be relatively compelling for them and i do believe that last i checked they were purchasing those items at okay. least some of the time and being relatively performant with them um so you know i mean overall i think uh the changes put the put the items in a better spot overall um and we did want to introduce static ship back into the game and part of the reason why we wanted to do the changes was because at the time um adcs were also having a bunch of satisfaction issues and we wanted to test this version of mythic items for um, potential preseason work so it was the closest uh item system to the the type of mythic item system that we wanted to test basically so a combination of those two kind of led us down that route so my question about the mythic system that i was going to mention about what's right's view or yeah stance do they like the uh obviously me as a jungler this year and especially we saw in competitive and stuff you know it's always the cost effective item into the mythic you know we had the chem punk into radiant virtue black cleaver radiant virtue you had every ap jungle go demo, demonic embrace into like you know jack show or like you know the malachite and andrews like is that do you think that's intimidating for new players and like the way builds change? Like, cause, cause I mean, do, these items just got brutally murdered like very quickly, right? Like the Kempunk and the Cleaver and stuff. And then it started switching to the, now you build the, the mythic first. And so what's the view sort of the, the way that the builds evolve throughout patches and all that sort of stuff with this system. So we kind of started with um, the original design philosophy for mythics was that we wanted players to make a choice between different mythic items for classes uh unfortunately that just didn't work out very well because basically players had to choose between so some champions had really satisfying mythic item choice like let's say for example uh, uh victor at one point could pick between ludens leandries crown everfrost uh, everfrost pretty niche but uh, out of those three he could pick pretty reliably between those three and, and that was build that first as victor right? um but for some champions first. sorry go on yeah i mean but for some champions they had to choose between three kind of crappy options. And it's like, you know, like, it, it, and so even though like maybe, I would say like maybe 40 or 50% of the roster was happy with the mythic item choices that they could choose, um, you know, that left the other 50% of the roster either having one item that they always bought. So like Samira always buying shield bow and she's like relatively happy with buying shield bow every game, but it's like, it didn't really succeed on adding choice to those champions like we had intended. Um, and uh, for the, I don't know, I, I want to say like 30 to 40% of champions, like they were really unhappy. Like, uh, you know, like Singed didn't really have a mythic item, you know, like there's a lot of champions that fall in this category. Um, and so we're kind of like, mm, this is probably not super optimal. Um, so what we tried to do with the tank items, this was the first time we kind of tested out this principle, was we wanted to delay the mythic item purchase to be second so previously mythic items were very cost efficient right because we wanted them to be purchased first and we decided later that we would tune them in a way that would make them able to be purchased either first or second but mainly second so you would purchase it first if you had a really good synergy with your champion mm -hmm. and otherwise you would purchase it second and okay. the whole point of that was now Singed doesn't feel bad because he can buy Rileys first and be happy with that, right? Or he could buy, I don't know, like Chem Tank or something, or he could buy, I don't know, some other random item that Demonic if first if he really wanted to, right? And he didn't feel locked into having to build Rift Maker first or 
like god forbid like leandries or something right like <laughs> you know like he wouldn't feel like he has to do that because the item is so overtuned so that was the the principle that was the type of mythic item that we were trying to test and the thing that we liked about mythic items was that it's this kind of um almost like mythic level of fantasy of thing that you have in your inventory that you plan your build around that was the original like design vision for it but then i think we just realized that we needed like 30 more mythic items or something mm. yeah like, it's just not possible it's not possible it's impossible you can't, yeah you can't you can't solve yeah. every champion in the game with yeah. a mythic it's just not going to work so you guys are happy yeah. with just so being I think, it, that it's just like some i wouldn't champs. say I, no i wouldn't say we're happy with it okay. for that reason because uh, um if you consider that let's say for example we had 150 items before and let's say that in a mythic world, we have 150 items. That's not actually the same amount of items that you're choosing from because the mythic items are exclusive. So if you buy a mythic item, it suddenly removes all the other mythic items from the pool. So now you're only picking between 120 items. And so the needs of the remaining roster of champions needs to be met with that 120 items. Whereas before, you would be able to make that work with 150 items. So actually, to do mythic items, we needed to have more items. So we needed to have something like 180 or like 200 items to make that system work. Then I think it could have worked. Um, but as we did it, you know, because we would need to make a mythic for Singed and Silas and, you know, all of Rumble and all of these people, right? Instead of like Rumble having to build like Rockabilt, which is like meant to be an assassin item, right? Um, so if we did that, then I think it could have worked. But you know, that has other costs, right? Like last time we talked about complexity of getting people into the game and it's like, okay, well now you've, you've increased the number of items by 30%, right? Mm -hmm. Like, is that acceptable? Um, is that an acceptable trade-off to have this like mythic level of item in your inventory? Like probably not, right? So we've, we kind of, at the time, it wasn't super obvious, but we didn't realize that we needed to make more items. We thought we could get away with like, you know, making maybe 10 more items, which is what we did, but we probably needed to have something more in the, along the lines of like 40 or 50 more items to make it work. Then I think it could have worked, but yeah, I think that's just not something we're super interested in moving forward. Don't want to add another 40, 50 items to the game. I mean, the game's already as complex <laughs> as it is yeah, now. Exactly. That would be overwhelming. Yeah. Right. And so like moving forward, it's like, we're kind of, we're kind of thinking, okay, well, we're not super happy with mythics and we want to find a way to like, move away from them probably hmm. wait so you, you mean in terms of the the, the structure or the idea of a mythic item such that there is no mythic item or do you mean like what do you mean exactly so like let's say for example like mythic let's say mythic items started with the design goal of let's make something really interesting and cool in the item system right there are many ways to do something interesting and cool in the item system and mythic items is just one of them right and so there are um you know if we if we decided to continue pursuing something cool and interesting into the in the item system, then we could keep doing that um, and just do something that's not mythic items, and it would achieve the same design goal, uh, but it just wouldn't be mythic items, right? Yeah, I'll be honest. Um, I don't so even... that's still an option that's on the table, or we could just revert back to not having mythic items, like. Yeah, I mean, I think the idea of a mythic item is cool, but for me personally, I don't really feel like, oh, wow, I got a mythic item. Now I'm, I'm like, my champ's extra special. It's like, whether I have a Rhylize or whether I have an Everfrost, you know, for me, it like it's not like a huge difference, you know, like in terms of like the, mentally the way I perceive the items, you know, like it's like yeah. a complete game changer. 
I think the thing we were trying to chase was like, I don't know if you guys have played much like Diablo or WoW or any of that. I mean, I know Nathan's played a lot of WoW. I played a bit past, of Diablo, but like, yeah. Um, they have, you know, like, let's say you dropped a certain legendary, right? And the legendary, you would play around its unique passive. It's like, oh, this legendary dropped yeah. this thing, and it has this specific line that's really build-defining and really awesome. That was the type of thing that we were trying to go after. It just doesn't work as well in League as it does in, let's say, MMO, or especially PvE, because PvE, you can just do whatever nonsense you yeah, want. Yeah, PvE is so different. No, but also, it's League yeah. is... not going to break the game, right? League's just so complicated, because you got to remember, like, when you're playing in League, it's, like, five versus five people, and the amount of, like, interactions that they have is, like, it's unbelievable the amount of, like, item interactions you could possibly have, whereas, you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah, when you're in PvE, you got, it doesn't really you got, matter. you like, a boss that has a billion health anyway. It doesn't matter <laughs> if it gets hit by a little bit more damage or something like that, you know? Yeah. So, like, for example, like, things that we originally were exploring when we were first exploring mythic items was okay mythic items should be giving things that you can't get anywhere else so let's say for example this thing increases your stun duration by uh 15 percent or something right you know this type of thing that's like it's so kit warping and like it's really cool right like yeah that's um, cool and i think we could have designed a system like that it's just incredibly difficult like design you'd have to have so many skill wise yeah, it's it's not only do you have to make a lot, like your system design ability needs to be so strong to make sure that it's like, okay, well, LeBlanc doesn't break the game with this, or like Morgana doesn't break the game with the uh, extended CC duration, right? Like she can perma root someone, or like Brand might be able to CC lock with this thing because you just EQ, yeah. EQ and get a lot of haste or whatever. So it's like, you know, that's a very challenging thing to design things that are really exciting that yeah. would break the game no i've already had some ideas where every character is able to limit break basically yeah i had yeah. some ideas like i was just thinking that you could have like a mythic item for people that have really long range ultimates or global ultimates so like if they build this mythic it increases the effectiveness yeah. of global ultimates or gives you refunds x amount of the cost of your global ultimate but then like though exactly. only like a few very niche champions in the game would ever build that item but that like that's so yeah. cool because it can completely that would like give you such a unique experience in the game that would like change the entire kit, you know? I, I, yeah. I, I like. I mean, that's like what what I was trying to do with um, Horizon Focus as well, right? Because it was right. like, oh, this is something that you know, if you're a sniping character or a long range character, like you should be able to use this item, and it should feel like, oh, this almost feels like a mythic level thing. It's like I can't get this anywhere else. Like, uh, but then ultimately it was like, okay, well, only three champions bought it right <laughs> you know like so the, you know you have all these types of like constraints that are like very difficult to design mm. around um and that item's like you know it's just a math problem with what does more damage that or shadow flame so like you know over time we've been trying to like force those two apart but it, it's kind of difficult because like ap champions only really want damage <laughs> and we kind of decided that things like extending cc duration were like off the table because it you know just instantly breaks the game with like Organo or like brand and stuff like that like yeah well i don't mind horizon focus though because i actually kind of like it because it actually gives a lot of, i like what you've done with the slow aspect of it because with ari yep. you know it's a really common build path where you go everfrost into horizon focus and the the build path yep. on horizon focus is so much better than shadow flame because you don't have to go through needlessly large rod you can just build the, the fiendish yep. codex with the alternator which is a trillion right. times better than having to build a needlessly large rod so i actually do I actually, i'm a big fan of horizon focus as an item it's just yeah. it, and i actually it's very niche right like it has users that want to get it and users that don't want to get it um yep. while we're on you know talking about items one thing i will say compliment you guys 
that you did a really great job with was with uh, Oblivion Orb um, mm. and the Grievous Wounds. Like I love that now you can just actively sit on the Oblivion Orb without having to upgrade it to get the the the, the baseline Grievous Wounds. But then also yep. you, there's a very clear reason as to why you would upgrade to Morello's um, not just because of the Grievous Wounds, because it, it felt so shit before where you want to build Grievous Wounds and it's like, oh, like you get the orb, but then it's not enough. And then you want to upgrade to the, to, to the thing, yep. but then you don't get anything else from the, from the Morellos. But now that it gives the magic pen and then, and, yep. and then it doesn't change the Grievous Wounds, I think was a really, really good change. And it just feels like a trillion times better. So that's one yeah. massive like There were magic. two specific um, problems that we wanted to solve with that. Well, firstly, the reason why it was segmented like that was because we wanted to keep the items relatively simple, but we wanted you to upgrading... We wanted when you upgraded Morello's for it to feel like you were getting something uh, rather than just stats. So then the logical answer to that was, okay, we'll just make the Grievous Wounds on the small component less. But then that like just broke some systemic qualities of the game because now you want to buy this thing against Aatrox, so you want to buy this thing against whoever, right, Sraka, um, but it's just not powerful enough. And then, so it's like, okay, well, now you have to invest 3k into this, like, kind of crappy item, right, <laughs> like, that you wish you could have bought Zonyas or something else, right? Um, so, you know, we kind of learned our lesson in that a systemic outlet component, like, we call these systemic outlets. The whole reason why they exist is so that when players stack like five of one thing so like five shields five shielders like i don't know if you if you remember there was a time in like season seven or season eight where they had like ivern like basically five shielders on a team like <laughs> and it was it was just absolute nightmare to play against um these systemic outlets are to like counter those types of things because you know if you buy one grievous wounds item it should be able to shut down you get massive amounts of value because you shut down like five people at once so that's why they exist in the game, because people will often be like, oh, well, why don't you just get rid of the Grievous Wounds item and nerf healing? Like, well, it wouldn't work because people would just pick five Giga Healers, like Mundo, Sorak, or whatever, and there's no there's no answer. Like, you can't actually do anything about it. Um, so that's why they're in the game, and we realized that actually the small component needs to carry that weight and be strong enough to, like, counter the person. And the second thing was we wanted players to feel good about the, having this item in the inventory at the end of the game. So that's kind of why we added the magic pen to the Morellos. But we didn't want it in a situation where it's like, hey, actually, it's just optimal to buy Morello because of the magic pen. And that was one of the situations that we were in in the LS, like Leandri's versus Morellos kind of argument. I don't know if you guys remember <laughs> when that was going on, but yeah. it's like, the magic pen is more valuable or whatever. So, Brockton, I want you to quickly help me understand... I guess the community perception and also just reality and experience with Rek'Sai. Obviously, I'm a Rek'Sai enthusiast myself. So everyone said the Prowl has changed. Champion, gone. Yep. Like everyone in my soldier, yep. we're packing it up. We're like, oh, we're, we're packing it up. This is gone. We're going to have to find new mains and stuff. And then um, reality here, I mean, currently I have like a 60% win rate with Rek'Sai. I've, I think I won like... 13 of my, my last 14 games and like that. Like, I love the Yeomans, <laughs> right? Like, and I was just thinking yep. like, okay, like why? So again, like, do we just don't know what we want? Oh, I mean, I, I, is, is it just because of the buffs of the Rek'Sai? I don't even really know what they did, what you guys did with the Rek'Sai. Like, what's going on there? Like, why? So, why, why I mean, when the, when the patch changed, right? Like, Prowlers got removed. Well, not removed, it got reworked. Um, Renekton went down, Rek'Sai went down, Pike went down only a little bit because actually Yomus was like pretty damn strong. 
um, on release patch. Incredibly so, sad. The Hecarim and stuff like that was out. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, like, uh, Rexai was actually, like, pretty performant with Yomu's, but even then she was, like, still quite weak. And so the cha- we knew that this was going to happen, so we already had planned work for Rexai and Renekton that we were testing internally, um, like, for a, a patch or two before that. Uh, and we decided that, you know, Rek'Sai play is kind of like the assassin play style, but it was never really the intent of the champion. Um, I remember like initially kind of it was a tank champion. With... Like it was, you build tank like many season six, five, you remember the tunnels and stuff like that. You build the tank jungle items and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like her original design intent was to be kind of uh, using her healing and her tunnels to go in and out of fights. And um, after season seven, when we reworked her ultimate, like to kind of be playing in the fight and then land a, a Q and then go in or something or like, you know, if she found an isolated target, then she'd be able to kill them. But she was always intended to be play more of this like fightery playstyle. Um, we didn't like the tank playstyle, like the, the Cinder Hulk, Rexai or whatever. They're like that. That was, mm. was kind of nonsense. But um, the fighter playstyle we we endorsed, and so we were thinking, okay, well, what's a way that we can kind of uh, get this fighter playstyle back? And if you wanted to build full AD, then you can. Uh, that was kind of the intent of the changes. So. In order to do that, we had to do stuff like, okay, well, her healing is more impactful. So I think Rek'Sai players have generally enjoyed that change overall. And then we also wanted to um, change her Q cooldown so that she's... Because the higher the Q cooldown is, the more damage it has to do. Um, so the lower the Q cooldown is, then the less damage it, it does. So by lowering the cooldown, it means that the damage can be um, lower, if that makes sense. So like, uh, okay, but let me explain it this way. Let's say Blitzcrank Q cost 200 mana, right? And it for that ability to be balanced, it basically has to kill you when it hits, right? Yep. So in the and and let's say Blitzcrank Q was five seconds cooldown instead of 20 seconds cooldown, right? Uh, if Blitzcrank has a five second Q cooldown, the damage can't be that high because he's just throwing out a lot of Qs. Yep. So he's going to hit you multiple times with it. It can't kill you instantly if he lands it. So by that logic. If Rek'Sai's Q cooldown is high, it means necessarily that the damage on the spell needs to be high. So by lowering the cooldown on the spell, then we get to lower the damage of the spell. So she plays more of a fighter-style uh, playstyle because she can um, you know, use her first Q rotation, maybe take a tunnel out or like tunnel in, take do a rotation, like ult, and then like use her Q again. And that was the ty- type of playstyle that we thought Rek'Sai players might enjoy. So... Um, that was kind of what we did, yeah. Yeah, no, so I'm sort of my question here, though, Broxon, is like about because you know, yeah, everyone's thought the champ was over with prowlers, but that's from my understanding, the champion win rate's very high right now in Master Plus. Is that correct? Yeah, but that's because the buffs were like pretty damn oh, they're big. Just, like, they're they're the were like 5% buffs. Because I, I think that, because so, yeah. you know, we talked, we had that whole conversation about mythics about how it changes the play style and the champ so much. Like, I still think Rek'Sai works incredibly well as an assassin, like pure assassin. That's how I play it. Mm-hmm. I go pure. I build Yomu's into Edge Knight, into yep. um, uh, Grudge, into like JL, something like that. And that's how I have two Q6. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe yep. I'm solely responsible for all the stats of I'm just breaking this because no one plays Rexai, dude. Like no one, no one really plays Rexai. You know, like I don't in our server in Master Plus, it's like four players. She's, she's pretty damn strong. I, I just got killed by. Her, I just got owned by a Rexai just before coming on the podcast. But yeah, I mean, yeah. So she, I mean, with her lethality build looks pretty performant. So yeah, I mean. Eclipse or Yomus looks decent. 
Um, yeah. I mean, a part of that, that the lack of um, gap closing functionality with the Prowlers has kind of been solved by the Yomus in a way, hasn't it? Not fully, but like an element of it. Yeah, I think Yomus is actually really flexible because I can go in and out. Like sometimes mm. you win fights in League of Legends by going out, right? I can zip away and then like mm. come yep. back in and mm. stuff, right? So, because the thing about Prowlers, I think it was a bit clunky in a way because. You could, I'll lose many games from really advanced, like high level team fights because I prowlers onto them and then they flash away and then I'm in, in them and then I don't, you know what I mean? So I right. now I think that because I'm not able to do that, I win more games and more consistent because I'm not prowlers <laughs> not into the enemy team. <laughs> at the end of the day, no one gives a shit about Rex. Yeah, I know. This is that's just the me thing. People already tuned out of the podcast. Let's let's get let's on to the on. real champions, all right. right? No one gives a shit about Rex, like, the shitty <laughs> champion. Let's get on to the real stuff, okay? The juicy. Cassante. Yeah, let's talk about Cassante. You know that meme procs on, on Twitter? It's like, yeah. this champion does this, 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 this. It's like the perfect champion league. It's like it was broken. And, like how, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and this is the thing with Cassante. I want to hear, like, what was... Okay, so first of all, what were your your view on, like, kind of the presence at, at MSI with Cassante? Um, and what were the what are some of the challenges you guys face around kind of balancing in for solo queue versus competitive? So um, with Cassante, we kind of agreed into, well, okay, well, let's start with the design goal of like what Cassante was meant to be, right? Like for many years, actually ever, we have never had a skill expressive tank, right? And so Cassante project kind of started with the concept of let's have a skill expressive tank. I mean, I guess you could kind of make an argument that like maybe Sejuani is like somewhat mm. skill expressive. I don't know. Like you kind of have to like go in and out or whatever, but like yeah. really if you're, if you're trying to make an argument that Sejuani is a skill expressive tank, like it's not, it's not really like the pinnacle of, of skill. Right. So yeah. we wanted to be like, okay, well how can we serve tank players by having a skill expressive tank? And we knew from the outset that tanks in general tend to be pretty pro skewed, right? Like, People in pro are very good at using tanks. They can limit test. Um, CC is just generally more valuable in pro, this type of thing. And then we also knew that skill expressive is obviously going to be pro skewed, right? So we knew that we were combining two pro skewed elements. And so we were never under the impression that, oh, this champion's going to be balanced for solo queue while being good for pro, right? The, the design intent was basically, let's make this as best as it can be for solo queue while making sure that it's it's serving its audience, right? And if that means that the champion has to live at 44% win rate for the average player because 0 to 15 game Cassante is has a 40% win rate or something, like so be it, right? But we would try and we would try and do our best with it. Like obviously we wouldn't be like, let's aim for 38% win rate Cassante for solo queue, right? Like that's not that's not like a good goal. But it's like we wanted to make it as best as we could. So we're starting from that premise, right? And we were going along in development, and obviously there are things on the kit that are like, okay, um, these things are skill expressive, but like, do they really need to be there, right? Like, are they really contributing to the Cassante player's fantasy? And that's kind of the approach that we're continuing to take with Cassante, where it's like, okay, he needs to be in a good spot for um, his enthusiasts, which are basically people who want to play a skill expressive tank. As long as he's serving that purpose, and he's like, you know, somewhat viable and pro player because that's where we would expect him to be his strongest. Um, and we've done a, a fine job. So it's mainly we want to make him as best as we can for solo queue. But there's nothing wrong with having a champion that everyone understands is very difficult. That you re that you're rewarded for playing hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand games of Cassante, and you're like, actually, no, the silver player that put fifteen hundred games into Cassante is actually pretty good at them, right? Like they're not you know, completely feeding their brains out. And that's a completely fine place for a champion to live. 
Um, so that's generally our thoughts on it. It's like, let's make sure it serves the primary audience and then make it as good for solo queue as it can be. So, so do you think it's, do you think it's actually even possible? Like, like to make like, a skill expressive Yeah, to, to make us like, to me, I mean, I, I'm just coming from the outside. Like it doesn't even really seem logical. Like it was that, why, why did you guys at right even feel like there was a need for a skill expressive tank? Because when you think about the average tank player, you don't really think of them being wanting to be skill expressive That's mechanically right. anyway. Yeah. Aren't they thinking, aren't they really more emphasizing on helping others and being more of a facilitator and um, thinking more big picture about the game? Well, I mean, tanks always have this kind of um, pick rate problem, like no matter what game it is, like, wow, when you're playing like, <laughs> you know, like you're trying, you're trying to play like the, the raid finder or whatever. And it's like, no one's queuing for tank, like in you whatever thing. Getting, 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 um, yeah, and a lot of that is due to, I think, like um, how fun the champion is to play. Right. And we wanted, we thought that, hey, like this would be a cool place that people would, mm. would be engaged with and right. you know like people are engaged with playing Cassante, right and in particular like we also knew that um tanks tend to get picked in pro play and you know regardless of what you think about like Cassante's balance state or whatever like he is exci an exciting champion to watch like you know most of the time right and so it's like okay well we know that if pros are going to pick tanks like you know we might as well we might as well make an exciting one right? right um and so part of it is i mean that wasn't the goal like the goal is generally okay. Let's make a let's make a, a skill expressive tank. But we knew that a skill expressive tank is going to be in pro play. So if the thing that he does is also not exciting, then that's like probably a failure, right? Like we don't want a skill expressive tank that's like playing DDR at his computer, um, but he <laughs> doesn't do anything interesting, right? Like that's not <laughs> that's not yeah, like yeah, cool. we want if if it's hard to do, like we want it to do something that's like visually really um, yeah, cool. striking and really mm. compelling and exciting to watch, right? So that's why Cassante's alt is like he just sends them flying across the screen and then like you know this type of thing. So I think the alt's really really cool. I just think yeah. Anyway, it's just a very 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 difficult kit to balance. I think. It is, but I think we, we have a lot of tools um, to be able to balance his kit. Um, we just need to... He's... Mm, I think people... <laughs> the copypasta meme, I think, kind of glosses over the fact that, um, you know, like, yes, he gets to these points in the game where he can be, like, completely unstoppable, and when he is snowballing and he's, you know, gotten very ahead or whatever, like, he's just kind of ridiculous, right? But... You know, like, for the most part, it's not super worth playing around him, for example, right? Like, he's just generally a kind of stable, weak side top laner, right? Yeah, like, you're a facilitator not, still. I'm going like, to pummel you into the ground, right? Yeah. For the most part. <clears throat> so, you know, Makes for sense. every game like that, where he has 4.7k health, like, one second airborne, I forgot what the... I forgot what the meme was but like yeah, every game like, like that health, there's like the 20 other games where he's just like completely useless and right? then like showmaker raging at having to play because yeah. <laughs> uh, every game um yeah, yeah. moving on to other champions um aurelian soul now aurelian soul is a really mm. interesting champion because I, I love aurelian soul i think it's a, a really cool um a really cool kit um a very tricky one again to balance and i've noticed that even like this since it was kind of reworked, there's been many, 
many small alterations to ASOL. I saw like nearly every second patch has been <laughs> a, a change to ASOL. And he's actually yep. so interesting. So he's actually, you know, one of my MLS below gold approved champions because I think he does have like, he's very good in the below, like the low ELO brackets, like scaling, scaling and, you Simple know, reference points. Si yeah, very clear reference points and stuff like that. Um, so ASOL, where are you at, where are you guys at with ASOL right now? And what, again, what are some of the challenges you guys have been facing with Aurelian Soul and, and what are the, like all the reasons behind all the tinkering away with ASOL and how do you guys view him long-term? Like wh where is his place in the game in a way? Yeah. So one thing you might've noticed with, um, a lot of our changes recently has been, uh, these types of mage champions in particular, we try and give them kind of like scaling kit passives because, uh, we generally expect them to be used, especially if they're like really strong in lane. Um, they tend to get a lot of tempo and snowball the game, and, and regular players can't really do that very well. So, like with, for example, like like Syndra. Syndra or Oriana or Victor, right? Like this, these types of champions, you just like put your lane opponent in the ground. Like if they're if they're tuned even somewhat reasonably early game, you put your lane opponent in the ground with corrupting potion. You get like infinite tempo resets. You're farming ten CS per minute or whatever. And, you know, that's just a pro play staple that's, like, very boring to watch. And so we generally wanted to figure out, okay, well, when we're making these mage champions, we, we're designing a dragon. The dragon has to fly. We knew that Asol previously uh, was extremely elite skewed, right? Like, he was completely useless for regular players because of this flying star mechanic, right? And we're like, okay, well... We don't want to like create an elite skewed ASOL, right? Like we're creating this thing that's got a huge visual spectacle. If we then release ASOL and he's elite skewed again, like that's just going to let down the player base really badly, right? So we wanted to go kind of all out on putting as many like low elo skewed things on the kit as possible, right? So it's like the infinite stacking passive, generally low elo skewed. Like low elo skewed players will, the, the, a game will go infinite, right? And, and he's going to get a lot of stacks, right? Give him a really weak laning phase, right? Like, he's not going to be able to push the tempo of the game, right? Like, cap his early, like, flights. Like, make it kind of really bad for, like, flying away, this type of thing. Make a really dodgeable ultimate, right? Like, all of these things are very low elo skewed. Because we didn't want to run the risk of, okay, we re-released ASOL again, we put all of this, you know, hype around him being this giant cosmic thing that everyone wants to play, and then he's, like, only usable by you guys, right? <laughs> like, that's just kind of a failure, right? So we put all of those things on, and it's been gradually a process of, okay, well, he's really doing well for his target audience, right? Like, you know, if you want to play a scaling mage that, you know, feels like he's in command of the cosmos or in command of, like, Rune Terror, right? Like... He certainly feels like that, right? Like, if he gets to a gazillion stacks, he's going to have a black hole that's the size of the screen, right? And that's really cool. Um, so we don't have, like, a huge amount of interest in, like, making him a pro play staple or anything like that. It would be nice if we could, but we're not going to, like, trade off his regular play performance to do so. Um, but then on the flip side, that has meant that he's been very resilient to nerfs because these types of mechanics are, like, kind of... We don't have a lot of experience in balancing them, right? Like taking this black hole, uh, you know, stack counted down by 5%, like how much performance mm. decreases that? Like nobody knows, right? <laughs> or like decreasing the amount of speed that he has when flying or his Q mm. damage. Like all of these things are just really hard to forecast, like how impactful they're going to be. Um, so I think that's kind of why we've had repeated hits to the thing and it hasn't really changed too much. Um, so that's generally where we stand on it, right? Like 
we like that he's just a generally high fantasy, really cool visual spectacle thing for the average player. And if we can get him into pro play, that's nice. But like, you know, we don't need to. He's like relatively performant in elite play. There's some spots where you're like, okay, I'm not going to get abused in lane. I can stack for free. You know, maybe it's a good spot for Asol or Vega or something like that. Mm. That's probably where we want to position him. Um, yeah, I think you guys fine. did a really good job. I think it's a really awesome champion, and it, and I think it does like it has that that yeah that fantasy feeling when you play it. Like you actually feel like you're a dragon, and the fact that you can fly over walls, but that does yeah make <laughs> yeah. it. I can see how that can make it tricky to to balance because you think of a champion like Vigar, for example. You know, you have no mobility, so it's kind of very clear. Like you're kind of capped in the damage output that you have, whereas like an Asol where is the effectiveness coming from? Is it coming from the fact that you have this infinite stacking and then you can place this giant thing on the screen? Or is it coming from the fact that he can get to fights when they happen and he can kind of escape from yep. gangs or whatever it might be? You know, I can see how that can be a little bit confusing and take time to adjust. So, yeah. Yeah, because like, good. especially because like, let's say for example, if I really wanted to get a soul into pro play tomorrow, like we could, right? Like we know all the levers that we would use to tune it, we would give him a strong laning phase, we would amp up his ability to roam in the early game, we would make his ult less dodgeable, but deal less damage, you know, these types of things. Like, we know exactly what we would need mm -hmm. to do to get him into pro play, we just don't really have much interest. Like, it doesn't really serve his audience very well. I agree. To have him be back into this, like, kind of elite-only, you know, spinning star flying dude that's always roaming around, like, that's not... Yeah. But on that topic, <laughs> you know, that's really interesting... I like what you said about, um, I haven't really thought of it like that. You guys have incrementally kind of changed the direction of all mages to be more scaling. Like think about um, Syndra, was Syndra a was, is a huge one now, obviously more scaling. And I really like the direction of that because again, a lot more, Syndra is now way more accessible to the average player. Like Syndra, I remember yeah. back in the day, I would cringe when it's like a, a goal right? player yeah, yeah. would play Syndra. It's just not possible. But then now the average yep. goal player can play Syndra because they don't need to hit every single cue in lane to have success. They can yep. sit there, relax. Exactly. They don't need to bully their lane opponent. They can skill and they can chill and scale. Same thing with Talia. Yeah, like Talia yep. as well. Talia yep. also hardcore mid to late game scaling. Um, even like, yeah, Victor, again, good scaling. A lot like, yeah, Viga, Asol. Like a lot of the mages nowadays, they just kind of very, very good. Yeah, they, well, they, they, they geared way, to, way more. You're rewarded a lot more for farming well and being a lot more poised rather than having to shit on your opponent early. Like if you think of like a lot of these champions, yeah. you had to really get ahead early and it felt like you didn't, you couldn't kind of make up for the difference later on. But it, nowadays it feels like you definitely can. If Even Ari to a certain degree. Even Ari to a certain degree. Like nowadays, you look at the best players with Ari. They don't farm six years per minute and roam around the map. They value their farm. They value themselves as a carry you know, a strong carry heading into the mid to late game. But I actually do like that. I actually really right. like the direction. It like feels we good. Wanted to, we, want a, we want a good mix, right? Mm. Yeah, like we want a good mix of champions that can play well in the early game and play well in the late game, right? Like, you know, we want Syndra. Syndra's a, a bit of a, a edge case because she's like, she's kind of good. She's kind of like about average, like across all axes, right? Like she's not exactly the... early lane bully uh, thing for us, maybe. Oh, no, no, I see you blinking. Um, and then we have, you know, we want some champions like Azir or whatever um, that can scale, Victor, etc. But yeah, generally speaking, it's like we want to have a good mix. Previously, we only had basically all the champions that were 
in mid lane that were mages where all of these high tempo you need to win the game instantly kind of like talia i create i i push in rome and then or like asol i push in rome or like victor ariana as tuned previously were like i'd completely annihilate you in lane in lane like same with azir it's like yeah even azir azir's changed completely (laughs) victor ariana it's like Zia's been actually a very tricky one for me to figure out in my program in terms of like how the best way to play that champion. Like right now there's a lot of Azir mains and so I've actually been digging really deep on Azir at the moment, trying to actually figure out what exactly is Azir's identity. And he's such a, he's such a complex, like an incredibly complex champion, like, like unbelievably complex. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't even know what the identity, I don't even know what the identity of the champion is. Okay, and I'd love to get your take on this. So this is my current interpretation of Azir and like the way I think of him. So Azir used to be, you know, very geared towards landing Qs in lane, poking down the enemy. You'd be rewarded for even taking more lane dominant runes like Halo Blades and Comet, kind of shitting on the enemy, like like old Syndra and stuff like that. Like really trying to shit on your opponent, get a lead early. Nowadays, now they've shifted the damage, right? More towards the soldiers and the W rather than the Q. So you don't really, you can't just spam Q in lane. So you need to be more patient. You kind of need level seven. You need lost chapter. You need like multiple levels in your W before you can actually really do anything. And where the complexity comes in with Azir, which is why he's so difficult to kind of master and teach is that you need to know, okay, is my, is my, is the best decision here to sit back pump out damage with my soldiers in a front-to-back team fight and then wait and hold my R for like peel? Or is it better for me to kind of uh, sit on the edge and then look for an engage window with my WEQR and then get a pick? He's like this weird hybrid between like a pick champion that has really, really good gank setup or really good creative pick windows, but then also a high DPS kind of quote-unquote scaling mage that can kind of sit front to back and pump out damage. And right now he has such versatile builds. You'll see like first strike, you'll see Conqueror, you'll see Lethal Tempo, you'll see Ludens, you'll see yeah. Leandri's Nash's Rush. There's like so many different interpretations of the champion. And and for the average player playing him, like I feel like even when they play like I teach some gold platinum players who play the champion, like I feel like they don't even really understand what the champion really is all about. And they have this idea that I'm Azir, I'm going to sit back and farm the two, three items in scale. But that's not really exactly the case with Azir because you have all this utility with your R and your, your gap closing you know, ability with your, your, your E and stuff. He's, he's an incredibly complex champion to teach with, just so, so multifaceted. So how, uh, you know, Obviously, you know, Azir has always been kind of like a, a top-heavy champion. Like, it's not really... Competitive. More of a competitive Azir, champion. Azir Corky always pops up. Yeah, Azir Corky and stuff like that. So how are you guys thinking of Azir, like, more big picture in the lower elo brackets and, and, and all that? Or is that, has that even been part of your discussion right now? Yeah, it has. I mean, one of the changes... So we did a large amount of changes to Azir, as I'm sure you know. But, um, you know, Azir's flexibility has always been challenging for us, right? Like, as you mentioned, he was historically this dude that uh the playing lane against azir or playing as azir is just incredibly oppressive like there's no other word for it right like it was probably the most oppressive because he's the highest range and you know all of the, you're slowed and all of this um while also having a really good scaling while also having an escape while also having an everything engage uh, you know like he just had everything right and so it's like, how can, but that's also what Azir plays love about it, right? And so the challenge then becomes, how can we turn this champion that has all of these things into something that is usable for the average player, right? And that's really hard because pro players, like you said, are going to identify the game games where it's like, okay, well, here I need to play fast because 
my team is Rek'Sai, um, Draven. I don't know um, frontline. I don't know, like Nautilus or something, right? And and we don't scale. So if I if I'm sitting here and playing for two three items, it's probably not right, mm. right? Like I should be taking Hailblades or taking whatever, and you know trying to um, you know snowball the early mid game. Or maybe you're playing a, a a comp where it's like, okay, well I can get breached into late game. Like they can stall for me to get into late game, so I'm going to play you know the Leandri's slower lethal tempo conqueror like style. And it's like, you know, balancing that type of champion is really difficult, right? Because, you know, there are so many different ways to play it. The thing that I was saying earlier, though, about um, mages and this type of champion being very oppressive in the early game was the thing that we knew was, like, off about this champion. Like, for a champion that has this many strengths, like, inbuilt into their kit, and we didn't really want to touch any of those. Like, some of the explorations we've done previously are like, well, what if Azir can't Sharima shuffle people? And it's like, well, that's mm. not Azir anymore. Or it's like, well, what if uh, what if Azir just doesn't have very good DPS in the late game? And it's like, well, that's not really Azir either anymore, right? And so it's like, okay, well, if we need to keep both of those, then he also just can't have a god-tier laning phase, right? And the and and the way that we wanted to achieve that was okay. Well, the Q uptime, like the amount of range that you have over opponents and the amount of threat that you can exert, right? Like by the time you Q, and then um, the opponent has a window to play back, like it queues back up again, right? Like that's that's probably clearly off, right? Um, and so we're like, okay, well, how about we retune his abilities in a way that uh, he's more range restricted, so he can actually be punished by certain champions. And he's going to be most effective into like melee or short range champions or like an Ari or something because he can like actually W in range of her. And so it's like, okay, well, let's move him away from Q max and move him into W max. And that's basically the only way that we'll be able to balance him. Right. Um, and so that's what we did. And uh, I think it's made him a little more balanceable. We'll see how that plays out over time. Um, and then we had to do a bunch of finagling around with his other abilities and so on to, to make that balanced but the idea was how can we keep these two core identities that Azia players really like and and it would make no sense to like divorce the two like if we can't get rid of shroom shuffle and we can't get rid of him being like a scaling emperor dude that commands a lot of soldiers and is a late game threat so the only option we have basically is to like kind of create his laning phase in a way or make it more polarized at least um so that's the route that hmm. we chose Interesting. and i think it's like you know it'll it'll make him a little more performant for average players like they're not leaving infinite value on the table if they're not you know q spamming yeah. on somebody like, like they syndrome because you just don't have that option right um so we hope that that's gonna that's gonna be able to retain both of those playstyles mm -hmm. that izia players like okay and one more mid champion nathan i know i'm going through a lot of mid champs here um, i mean proxon plays mid he's just a mid podcast at this point i know right, so. everyone else can tune out <laughs> um, i mean i can i can talk about anything but yeah <laughs> uh, last mid champ annie um yep Annie, I think, is an just an incredibly strong champion and has been for a while now. And we also saw a lot of the the priority on Annie at MSI as well. Um, Annie's such an interesting champion. Like, he, I feel like she's top heavy skewed and then low elo skewed in a way where, like, you see her a lot in like the lower elo brackets, and then you see her at the kind of the top elo brackets. So Annie, with she actually did receive a nerf recently, right? Was I think there was a nerf to like her E or something? What was the nerf? To, I can't remember. Mm, um, Q damage. Q damage, right? So where where are you guys at with Annie right now? And and um, yeah. So walk us because Annie obviously has such good effect, or such good uh, synergy with first strike, 
and the way she can reliably proc first strike with the E and which, you know, makes her incredibly good at scaling and, and the utility she has in her kit and the E kind of is an, probably one of the best abilities in the game. Um, how are you guys viewing Annie and are you guys happy with where Annie is at right now in, in, in her current strength? Yeah, so I'll start with things that uh, I like and the team likes about Annie. Uh, first is she can be played in multiple roles, right? Like we've always had the Annie support audience and has always been asking us to be able to play Annie support and she seems pretty viable there. And she seems uh, viable in mid, obviously. Um, the other thing that we like is that she sees some play at Hyelo. Like she kind of used to be a bit of a joke at Hyelo before. <laughs> um, and uh, so those are the things that we like. Uh, and we and we needed to make some specific changes to get her in there. So like, you know, I was talking a bit before about how we know a lot about certain um, changes that we can make to the given champions and what they do in different skill brackets. So move speed is an example of something that is very potent in higher skill brackets, but not that potent in lower skill brackets, as is on-demand shielding. So we knew that, okay, well, if we make her shielding and move speed, um, high-low players are much better at finding angles for engagements with the move speed and escaping from ganks and things like that, or like using the shields correctly, and even using shields on allies and stuff like that. Um, so we're like, okay, well, we know that you know, we can make this pretty powerful. Um, and I think the change that kind of put her, pushed her overboard was like Tibber's health. Mm -hmm. um, that was like kind of a lot. Um, but, you know, like, I think we generally like the position that she's in, in the game. Like she's probably a little overtuned still, even after the Q change, if I had to guess. Um, but yeah, it's it's important that we have a champion that can play kind of for the early game. I think the only thing that we don't, and and it's also very important that we have um, kind of point and click CC, like on demand CC, because that plays an important role in uh, not allowing certain types of um, champion archetypes to like run rampant. Like, uh, let's say for example, if you're playing against like some dude that's like just dashing around constantly, right? You want someone like Annie, or you want someone like Lissandra, and it's important that those champions are in the meta, like. Lissandra, Annie, Vi, you know, some assortment of those, like Nautilus Alt, this type of thing is really important to keep in the meta to make sure that it's not like, you know, Zeri or Lucian or, you know, whatever is just get out of control, right? Um, so those are things we like. Um, things that we don't like, I think, one optimization that I don't love is the ulting someone randomly just to get first strike gold. Like that's, you know, like that's all I do. I mean, it it is a way to play the rune, right? Like that's how you're meant to optimize the rune. But yeah. like something's wrong about the tuning if she's just constantly doing that, right? Um, and the other thing that I don't like is the her ulting the wave and just zoning you with the bear while like going off to recall. Like, yeah. That's also like kind of degenerate. Yeah. Um, so those are two things, two areas that I don't love. Um, yeah, because that kind of feels like that's I'm the stock. Not super sure. That's the stock standard way to play Annie right now. This is what I tell my clients: is like you get six, you farm to six, take first strike. As soon as you hit six, you walk up, you press E, you R, you get fifty gold, and then you get complete lane yep. control. You zone them, you do whatever you want. You have full tempo for now for a while. You, they either have to burn TP or whatever, if they don't have TP, they're screwed, and then you're done, and then you get free scale. And then wait till Tibbers goes away, that's going to stay for a while, get it again, do it again. And you just keep, you just get complete and utter, especially in like the lower ELO brackets, they're not going to tether the R. 
you just get complete lane control. Yep. So I view it yep. right now with yep. First Strike. I think she's in a, just in a very, very good position. Mm-hmm. If she's played well, and I, th- I feel like right now it's weird. People haven't really caught on to what Annie is. I don't think Annie is early game. I think Annie is pure mid to late game. Like, I think she's a hyperscaling mid to late game champion. You go first strike, you get really far ahead of the curve. You have incredible damage in team fights. You have item flexibility with Leandri's. You can even go Rockabot if you need to, but you have incredible scaling with, with depending on the build you go. And then you have, you're like this absolute menace in mid to late game fights um, if picked in the right situation. But for the most part, I think that like, that TP with first strike and playing R for lane control is just like this very, very, very reliable way of playing the champion. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess like, you know, when I say early game, it's kind of like she is able to drive the tempo of the game, I suppose, mm-hmm. in a way, right? Like you are able to, uh, it's not like, I don't know, let's say let's say you're playing Victor or something, right? Like, and you're playing against some, some uh, I don't know, some champ that's like able to run the game, mm-hmm. right? Like you're just sitting at your tower while the other person's doing something, right? <laughs> like Annie's on the opposite side of that. She's the one driving the pace of the game. Like if she wants to, if she wants the game to be played slow, like she can play it slow. And if she wants the game to be played fast, she can play it fast. That's true. So that's kind of what I I think okay. in terms of like early game. And and most of the time that probably just means, okay, yeah, I can I can like scale and mm. get tempo and get side lanes ahead or get a lot of river control mm. or whatever and just like farm and get first strike yeah. econ advantage. Um, but sometimes if it's like, okay, well now I could just, you know, just constantly force them to recall or zone them with the bear while I'm off doing other stuff. Right. Like that's, yeah, it's up to her. Mm. So. Okay. Yeah. All right. We've spoken a lot about mid lane. Right, I want to know where, where, <laughs> where are we at with Yumi, Broxham? What's going on? What, what, Yumi? What's Yumi? What are we doing here? We had the, uh, I mean, is it Zeri Yumi? The Zeri Yumi thing, you know, is obviously a big thing that the community mm-hmm. is very ups- outspoken about since her release. Yumi obviously had that yep. rework, uh, you know, with the Q angling and stuff. Like, where where are we at? Like, is this champion a problem for you guys to balance? I, feel, I mean, it has been a problem. Has been difficult to balance. I would say she's in a pretty good spot right now. Right. I think one of the things that we've uh, is kind of unclear to the community is the idea that Yumi can be good for um, beginning players while also having bad solo queue metrics, right? And, you know, because solo queue players are not new players, right? When, when we're talking about new players, we're talking about, okay, I'm bringing my completely new to MOBA friend into the game and they're playing Yumi and they literally don't know what any character does. They don't even know how to cast their abilities, right? I, I probably want them to just be sitting on me while I'm playing Lucian and they play Yumi and they just press their buttons, right? Yeah, I know Yumi's uh, 450 in the store now. It was 6,300 yep. for new ah. players. That, that is obviously very right. intentional, yeah. Yeah, and so what what people will do is they will be like, well, that can't possibly true be, be true because I look on Lolytics and for bronze players, she's 44% win rate. And it's like, well, that's not the target audience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it is kind of the target audience, but like not really, right? Like we first and foremost want to balance Yumi around being great for bringing a player into the game because she's by far the best performing champion at that. Um, and it's not close. Like the second best person I believe is like Leona or Timo or Nautilus or something. Um, and Yumi is just like miles ahead of, of all of those in terms of like actual performance metrics because you can just sit on your friend while they're teaching you the game, right? It's like, this is how you cast your Q. This is how you cast your E. And there's a really big audience for that, right? Like, even at this low win rate, like, 
Yumi still even has in ranked play like a pretty high pick rate, like at forty six percent or something. She's still like six percent pick rate or something, right? Which is quite high for solo queue though and pro. Like the things that we didn't like was Yumi's best skill bracket being pro. Like that's this is really yep. wrong, right? Like we we don't <laughs> we didn't want that, and it was part of it was part of the effort to kind of make Yumi's counterplay more in line with what players expected. So the whole thing was we tried the experiment of, okay, the community wants to be able to have Yumi pop out and be able to punish her. It's like, okay, well, let's let's try and make that more of a thing, right? So what we did is we reduced the cooldown of the passive. So it's like, she has to hop out more to optimize this. Turns out that only pro players could really optimize that. And it was, you know, it was pretty antithetical to what a Yumi player you know, wants to do. Like, if I'm playing with a completely new friend, I don't want them hopping out every eight seconds, like, <laughs> and, and potentially dying instantly, like, to, to proc this passive, right? Like, that's not that's not really what I want my friend to be mm. doing when they're trying to learn to play the game. I want them to be pressing their buttons and, and doing this stuff, right? So we kind of decided, okay, well, we're not gonna we're not gonna go that direction. If we're gonna keep the attach, um, then we're going to make her abilities while she's attached have more counterplay. So this is removing the root of the ult. This is lowering the speed of the Q. This is increasing the mana cost of the Q. This is changing the benefits that she gets when she's attached um, that are a little more um, niche to certain champions, making her not have to jump onto Wukong and, and Vi and, and Viego and stuff to be effective and have her bind more to her lane partner. So these were all things that we did in the rework, and I think we're generally pretty... Um, pretty reasonable. Uh, I think they've gone relatively well. And the thing that was just a problem was that when we did these changes, she released uh, Overpowered. <laughs> and she kind of sat like that for a few patches. So I think that was the main problem. We should have just taken her back down because we were like, oh, well, what? It, what? maybe she's OK at 50% win rate. But it turns out that she wasn't. So she's hovering closer to 47 now. And that's totally fine. That's totally fine for a champion to sit at if you know, if she's not going to see a lot of pro play, which at least early indications for thirteen twelve are that she hasn't been seeing much play at all. So mm. um, signs are promising, at least. Is is this a and, yeah? Is this a possibility, Proxon? Ever is is it? Is there a world where uh, you know again Yumi might be this specific case where Riot say we're actually going to ban a specific champion in Master Tier Plus or pro play? Was that ever, like let's say let's say if your intention of the champion is literally just this is a new this is a new player champion is that a thing that you guys would do or consider or is that just never going to be on the cards? I wouldn't say never, but I would say it's very close to never. <laughs> like um, you know, like we highly value a regular player being able to log into League of Legends and watch Faker play a game, and the game that they are playing is the same as the game that Faker is playing, right? And uh. You know that's one of our very core values and so i feel like that would be like directly undermining it because it's like it's always the first one right like the first making that first decision is always the most difficult one as soon yeah. as the precedent's set then it's like okay well let's now disable this person and disable this person and whatever so mm, we have to have an incredibly high bar to be able to disable any champion for any skill bracket um and i don't think i don't think even at her worst like Yumi or Zeri were like particularly close the to only, that. The only close other thought, to reworking for sure, but not disabling. Yeah, because that's the only other thought I had. The only other thought I had was when we're going through this conversation was 
I wonder if it would be possible to have different iterations. Like, you know how in ARAM, you have, like, the different stats for a different champion. Like, you know, you're talking about, like, oh, as in, in pro play, they could utilize the eight-second pass, uh, passive thing on Yumi. Um, I wonder if you could maybe disable that altogether for... Um, normal games or, or people that are below level 30 or like like you, you there's slight alterations made to the kits to simplify their their identity yeah. or their decision making um decision making fatigue for for the new beginner players so you're not really removing the champ they're still playing the same champ but they were like simpler in a way would that ever be something that riot would consider i think we wouldn't consider it on the kit level but we might consider it at the map level if that makes sense. So I could very easily see a situation where it's like, actually, Summoner's Rift is just too complicated. Like, at a baseline, Summoner's Rift is just too complicated. So let's make a simpler, more streamlined version of Summoner's Rift. I could certainly see that being a learning thing, and it's just a different queue, right? It's like learning queue or something. Mm -hmm. And the map is, like, simplified. Maybe it's a bit smaller. Um, maybe the towers deal less damage. You know, similar to, like, Dota's easy mode. I don't know if you... Mm -hmm. No. Um, you guys played Dota before, but we learned the, um, we learned a lot of games with three v three. Twisted Tree Line. Yeah, we played, 3v3 we played a we... lot. That's how we probably learned the majority, <laughs> a lot of the game through Twisted Tree Line, mm. which is interesting. Yeah, but I think we wouldn't go so far as to change the actual functionality of the champion between queues, even even between ARAM and SR. Um, but I think like for for Yumi, like it's you know like if this if this doesn't work, then it's like okay, well. I have a I have a pretty strong suspicion that what we have right now, the kit as it's currently constructed with a bit of tuning, will be able to get there. Like it'll just be able to sit at forty six, forty seven, and she'll be completely fine. And the people who like to play Yumi will play her, and she'll be great for new players. And I think that's a, a fine spot for a champion to sit. If this doesn't work and she still is a pro play staple for whatever reason, then you know we might have to consider. Okay, well, this attach. You know, we've done the best that we can with it but maybe she just has to play more like a normal support champion maybe right like it would at least be on the table it would be something to discuss because um the current attach mechanism we've kind of pushed uh to the limit in terms of like using all of our you know expertise yeah, to well, try everything we asked I, you tried that's what i'm saying like yeah. is there a point where it's like <laughs> this is just not working we've got to do some drastic yeah. things that we've never done in league before with this <laughs> champion yeah but i have a reasonable confidence that the the current one like it's we we have factually resolved um, a good amount of the issues that were not present before, um, like the whole her jumping onto Wukong or like Viego or whatever. Like, oh yeah, really you did a really much. good job of that. Like, I don't I don't see like yeah. Yumi Kane ruining a game. Yumi Hecarim and Yumi stuff Hecarim. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's really really good. Right. And her Q is a lot more dodgeable. Her laning phase is a lot more abusable. Like her ult doesn't root you anymore. Um, this type of thing. Like. Her playmaking ability is like pretty significantly reduced. She just does play more like a very typical enchanter now, which has its weaknesses, right? Like if you catch her out, you know they're probably going to die, right? Unless they're in Zeri, but that's a different story. Yeah. <laughs> so do you want to get to the gameplay stuff, Nathan? Uh, I wanted to talk about another sports champ, okay. the recent Milio release. Mm. Um, we talked about in our last episode how. You 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 intentionally make champions super overtuned when they get released, so then people can play them, so you can get stats, so you can like work your way backwards. Well, that... we release them at what we think is an appropriate balance level. We try to. We used to release them overtuned, but now we try to release them at what we think is about balanced, or at least at 
about balance that will like teach us something, right? Like what we suspect is balanced, um, knowing that we might need to change a certain thing. Like for example, Melio has uh, pretty good damage for an enchanter, uh, while also having some, you know, very best in class uh, enchanter outputs like range extension and the cleanse, right? And so it's like, can these coexist on a kit? Like we're not sure. We're not intentionally releasing them overtuned, though we have a suspicion that if there's something's going to be a problem, it might be a combination of these three. So that's, you know, like, we don't know. Like, uh, and, you know, we have a strong suspicion, but ultimately, at the end of the day, like, it, even though our internal tests are very good, right? Like, the, like, mix of, like, GM challenger players, some of them, right? Like, they're not Faker, right? Like, it's Faker's, Faker and Carrier are going to push this thing to the limits more than we could ever possibly do, right? So... So with, because support is, is really interesting because it's sort of like the same thing with Yumi, Zeri, how like, do you like think about when you release a support champ? Because Lucian, Milio, that was very, very, very strong when the initial release. Do you yep. think about how this support champ introduced to the game is going to make a complement an 80 carry? Like, is that something you think about? Yeah, we have to. We have to. Yeah. Um, we think about, especially when we're in the middle of, because... Let's say, for example, we we were testing this range extension mechanic, right? At some point in development, we would be saying, okay, is this sustainable? Like, what is going to break if we add this mechanic into the game, basically? And so then we'll get all these people into the room, basically, or whoever's working on the thing will get a brainstorm going and be like, okay, well, what are the most you know insane combinations that you can think of when you're when you're if you were trying to abuse this or trying to break this completely, what would you pair it with? Lucian's one of them. Caitlin's another one, right? It's like, okay, if you have like a lot of range, like what happens if you have even more range, right? Like, does that just become like Break extremely impressive, like to the point where yeah. you can't even play against it, right? Or like Jinx or something, right? Like someone who's really high range. And so we'll run some specific like tests and games where we'll be like, okay, well, let's set up like the best possible case for a milieu game, right? And does this feel like reasonable to play against, right? Um, this type of thing. It's like, okay, well, what if we did. Um, Caitlyn with like Ivern, Jungle, Karma, Mid, Milio, Bot, and like a tank in top lane, right? Like, is is that just like extremely impressive, right? And it's like we test it. It's like, yeah, it's actually not that bad, right? Like, it's it's annoying for sure, right? But is it like breaking the game? Like, not really, right? Zero. So that's line. the type of testing that we'll do to figure out if the thing is is um, going to break. We have like some specific hypotheses that we think are going to go wrong and then we'll like try and focus test it um obviously like there's only so much time in the day so mm. we can and and so many other factors could be playing into that right like the common mid could have just gone like zero six or whatever like yeah that, then, that'd like, be so hard that'd be so incredibly hard to test and, and on this testing yeah. thing now nico was a very unique design very very unique yep. and i i remember when i saw the 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 images or whatever when it came out i was like N nico can turn into like a like a Scryer's Bloom Minion, or wait, a, a Blast Cone. I'm like, this is this is not real. Like I thought it was like one of those meme things, yeah. you know. And when I actually uh -huh. when I saw, it, I was like, wow, that's so unique. Like that's such a cool thing. And so you know, you were thinking right. before, you were talking about about that process before how you kind of look. Okay, what's like the most broken thing? How can we break the game with Nico? Uh, what was that experience like kind of trying to break the game with Nico? And and again, what were some of the fears you guys had about Nico? Or, or, or did you kind of see the whole passive as like a bit of a, not really the main aspect of, of the changes to Nico and it's more of like a side thing? Like, um, 
Well, we certainly thought that uh, we didn't think that the disguise changes would be as effective in pro play as they were. Mm. Uh, I'll say that much. <laughs> like, uh, pro players seem to be really bad at counting minions for whatever reason. Um, <laughs> and it's it's like, oh, four stack. melee minions? Oh, let me just, like, walk up to this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, like, mm. get, like, destroyed by it. So that was one thing. Or, like, let's say, like, a moving control ward. It's like, no one's possibly going to get fooled by this, right? But, like, <laughs> you know, people were just, like, falling for it, right? And that was kind of cool. Like, we, we never really expected that to actually manifest. Um, at least at the at the t at the tip top level, <laughs> I think the changes because Nico was always a strong laner, but she was just so impotent in the mid to late game that it was just kind of like you know there wasn't much point getting the tempo in the yeah. early game or getting the lane control. But then as soon as we changed the ultimate, I think that's what made that was it the big change. to make it more reliable. That yeah. was the thing that actually pushed her over the Agreed. edge. I think. Um, and so you know we were just like okay, well it's fine for her to have a. a a good ultimate. She just doesn't need to have best in class laning phase to combo with that. And then I think she's in a good spot. I think the the thing that kind of um they might be on Twitter actually, like um some of the early clips in dev of like me getting killed by the thing um on like true XY's Twitter. But um <laughs> yeah basically like the cause the tech was really janky, right? Like you, um you, on the minimap you would see like this big white square because the texture like couldn't be rendered like it wouldn't oh, be able to find the picture of the image like mm. if you turn into a control ward or something right. it's like how do you even put that on the minimap so it just be this big white square so it was really obvious when she's disguised because <laughs> on the minimap she's just this really big white yeah. square so once we once we fixed that which was quite challenging to fix then it got a lot more deceptive and I, I remember, like, I was I was sweeping, and I was like killing this control ward, and then like suddenly it turned to Nico, and then just killed me, and then I was like, oh, okay, like I guess I'm gonna be like really scared of like every control ward I ran run into, right? There are a few there are a few situations like that, but I think it wasn't as extensive as like milio testing in terms of like because firstly we didn't think that people at the highest level are gonna fall for this mm. thing, right? Like we were just like, oh, okay, well, if the control ward's moving, like control ward was like the the edge abuse case if you could even call it an abuse case that we could think of where it's just like okay well you just pretend to be a control ward and then they go to clear the control ward and then yeah actually nico right like that's i think the w know, changes exactly were also quite abusive. nice the w changes the nico yeah. i think like like the fact that the, like the like the nico could recall you could like start the nico yeah. recall and things like that like those i think those actually things made a, a very big difference and you can kind of control the nico because it felt like nico w before was so shit like it was really really yeah wasn't really useful but like it's actually right. an incredibly good ability if used properly now by you know if you're a competent like i think nico now is in such a good spot because it has this incredibly high skill cap um yeah yep. the, the r was r was probably the thing that was probably a, you know put it over the edge but i actually do yep. like the direction of nico because nico before it it, it felt like a very outdated champion you know how we we're talking before about how nico is was that mm. generation of of champion that had to get this like crazy lead early but then fell off an absolute cliff because you couldn't even get your damage off but now it almost feels like okay <laughs> right, you have exactly. the early lane strength but now you're not a minion in the in the well, you are theoretically a minion if you want to be a minion, but you're not an actual minion in the mid to late game. So yeah, I do I do like the changes for Nico. I thought it was very unique, but yeah, it just needed to be, definitely needed to be hot fixed. I think a little bit changed a little bit earlier, but yeah, yeah. I think we we also the um the old disguise time. I think we're changing this patch, or we changed last patch, or thirteen thirteen. We changed it. Um, it's a, it's a little little much to be disguised. I think for the the whole. 1.25 seconds yeah. so um and i think even pros couldn't really react to it <laughs> which 
kind of made sense. Um, so but tuning that down a little bit, and I think that she'll be in a really good spot after that. Game? Uh, yeah, let's move to yeah. more game changes. Also, I want to start with TP. I think okay. TP were, I think the TP changes were were interesting. So so far from the data, what's been the data like with TP? Like in terms of pick rate with TP, because in my program, um, or oh, I don't know, this is maybe this is my program. Like you have to have an incredibly good reason at the moment to not take ignite. I I almost feel like not you're really not incentivized to take a combat spell in in, in many scenarios and in i feel like tp is just incredibly strong i feel like since the empower tp comes up now at 10 minutes so what says where are you guys at with tp right now in terms of balance relative um, to combat spells combat summoners i mean these are big changes like so the, how do you guys I mean, talk about these these are like that's a huge change it's like, a massive you know, change from 14 minutes to 10 like that's, that's four minutes. the dynamic of the game like i'm i would just bring that like not even to get specific like what's the how do you guys make a decision like that you guys sit mm. on the table like saying we want to increase the pace of the game we want them to fight the second drag fight like these are massive gameplay changes or you don't think so so this was um the the tp change was kind of brought about by thinking about um top lane like we were in a very bot focused meta at the time and we thought oh well um you know we ha at the time mid lane gold was still nerfed right so mid lane was not actually as strong as it had been in times past as well. And so we're like, okay, well, you know, mid can afford to get a little bit of a buff from the TP, and it would be a way to kind of increase the strength of solo laners. And in particular, we wanted to choose a timing that was relevant for around second dragon fights. So we didn't want it to be... Because, for example, we could have said, okay, well, actually you get unleashed TP at five minutes, right? But the reason we chose 10 minutes was, okay, 14 minutes feels too late, 5 minutes too, feels too early, and we want to choose roughly a time when top laners feel like they would be able to have influence over the game outcome. And that was roughly around Second Dragon, right? Second like Dragon, after yeah. Rift Herald spawned, and you've probably done the dance around Rift Herald, and you've gone back to top lane, and you have an opportunity to you know, potentially impact the basically next big fight around bot without having to sack too much by just running to dragon <laughs> because you know like you, you run to dragon and they just waste your time and then you're like oh crap i have to like tp back to top you know this type of thing so that was the in in intention behind the changes and we knew there was going to be some collateral with mid lane but mid lane at the time was um in a state where uh it wasn't the most powerful as it's ever been um so we thought that it could go up a little bit and also you know to your point like in regular play, TP just underperforms relative to um, other spells, except in elite play, where obviously TP is a lot better because you play for tempo and you just like uh, exhaust their mana pool and then get a tempo reset and then TP back to lane and whatever, right? Like um, this type of thing doesn't really happen in silver or gold, like as I'm sure you know. So um, challenging spell to balance, I think, mm. but it creates a lot of really interesting. Um, things in the mid to late game especially like tb flanks um allowing for split pushing like it enables a lot of things that we like in the game hmm. um so we wouldn't want to remove it uh but we need to find a way to basically not have top laners be purely beholden to having the spell to be able to participate hmm. in the game so that's that's an ongoing design challenge and i think really there's sure the, how the, meant to go about that the tp changes in combination with sweeper as well i think made it a lot easier. This, I feel like it's a lot harder to clear vision as well. Or you need to be a lot more 
intentional, intentional with the vision clearing. which i do like i do like that yeah. i i actually do like the sweeper changes i think it, it does make sense but that in combination with tv it just feels like there's a lot there's a lot more like action especially a lot more action in bot side mm-hmm. which i guess it, it, yep. you know i'm not saying it's a good or bad thing just you know stating <clears> it as it is i i personally don't mind it. i think it's kind of exciting for the game right but um yeah yeah do you guys think the sweeper changes were a buff to vision denial or a nerf to vision denial well, it rewards again intention. Like you've got to be very strategic with. So I'll say an, it scales an, with. It's the better the player. It's right? a bit of a nerf for the average player. Yeah, I think it's a nerf for the average player. Yeah. Do you think it's a buff for the skilled player? I think that is perfectly balanced because the times. I so think it's short. good. I think it's really good. You know what I mean? I wouldn't really call it that. I think it's just. I think it's just better to punish you more. So, but it's just basically. If you use it like you did last time, you know, if you, at the end of the day, you, you, you know, high level players, they have very intentional way clearing a section to control that gives us midway, you know what I mean? So that doesn't really change the yep. amount of time, really, because we're going to be able to clear mm. enough wards already with that. Mm-hmm. I actually think trinkets are very nice at the moment. I actually really like the change to believe in the blue trinket with the ping as well, where you, you know, it comes with the ping. I think it was really nice. Um, right. I want to talk about the gameplay change that was. Really out of the blue. I didn't understand it. I want to get your th- what the thought process about the minion wave time and stuff. Everyone was like sort of losing their minds mm. around that. And didn't you guys just end up reverting that as well? Like, I mean, I'm a jungler. So no, it's is it still nah, the they, they, they which, reverted... one, which one are you talking about? Are you talking about the gold? The mid they reverted gold, the gold. Are you talking about the right? We reverted the gold. We yeah. didn't revert the timing. No. Um, timing changes. Okay, because I'm a jungler. I mean, the whole point of the timing changes is to protect side lanes more. Yeah. Because I mean, I'm a jungler and I purely play around. I play only early game jungles. I purely play around waves, and none of my decision making changed whatsoever. Like I can't even think about yep. times of the game and stuff like that. Like I didn't even I didn't even notice the change was in play. Is this? Is I think this... it's an incremental change, right? Like so, the the intention of the change is previously um, mid lane crashed first, right? So. As a mid laner, if I'm stacking a wave or whatever, then I can crash my wave, move to side, and then by the time I get to side, their wave will be crashing. So it's just it's just really optimal pathing for me because then the the mid lane opponent is in a really bad position, right? Um, with the change, if the waves are crashing at the same time, then if the enemy, if the top laner that's getting dived or the bot laner that's getting dived manages to clear the wave, they have more time to be able to to be able to avoid the gank, yep. basically. It's yeah. not going to, you know, if they're losing, it's still going to happen the same way, right? Because, you know, someone's still going to just be stacking a wave and crashing. Yeah, right? exactly. I feel um, like and it they have control over that. But if you are winning your lane, you can prevent yourself from getting dived a little easier. You mm-hmm. have like, I don't know, maybe five seconds more to be able to defend yourself. It's, it's right? really a minor change in the grand scheme of things because in, in the majority of games, at least, you know, nowadays, you know, dives don't happen off one wave stacks anyway. They happen a lot of the time off multiple wave stacks. That's so right. a lot of the time it doesn't really... I mean, there's, uh, I think people were over-exaggerating that change when the when the actual notes came out because people... When I thought about it in, in practicality in my games, when I'm looking at it, or even in the average game, even like in a platinum game, you look at dives. When there's one wave, the dive doesn't happen anyway. Fizzles out. They get halfway. They realize that the wave's not big enough and they're going to go back mid anyway, even before the minion changes. Dives were only going to ever happen when a lane, it was either in full control or they were taking such bad trades that you didn't need a wave, barely needed a wave anyway. That's right. You'll be able to make that dive anyway. You'll be able to make the dive anyway. So like, like, so it's, in my opinion, it was such a minuscule change, at least from a mid perspective and what I've noticed in my program, it hasn't really changed. Like people who play Roamers, 
and people who don't play Roma, it's made no difference, at least from 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 my perspective. Well, you said it's incremental. So you guys looking to play with this more, like? Because this is again really interesting. Oh, it's more, it's more, it's more in the sense that we didn't think, we didn't think. Well, one, if we changed it in a way that dives never happened on the side lanes, that would be bad. That's very game, bad. Yeah, probably, we can't have it. It's removing some strategy. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, if dives always happen, then that's also bad, mm -hmm. right? So it's a, it's a middle ground. So like, let's say for example, the average play when you're stacking a wave and you're crashing it into top tower, you would have twelve minions, right? And with the change, maybe there would be 10 minions, right? And that might make the difference sometimes, right? Like if you're fighting back against the if you're fighting back against the wave and you're trying to clear the wave, like let's say you're playing Scion or something, and you know, they're pushing this 12 stack minion wave in, and with the change, it was instead of being 12, it's 10 minions, right? Maybe that buys you one or two extra seconds of them getting hit by the turret, right? So it's like it's an incremental change. Yeah, it's meant to help a little bit. Yeah. And the other change that we did that um because we felt like generally that people were getting dived too freely on sides. Like it was a it was a little too guaranteed, like mm. especially at optimal play. And the other thing that we did um to kind of incentivize dive counterplay was that as soon as the minions get into turret range, they aggro onto the turret. Because one thing that would happen is let's say you're the scion and you're trying to fight back you fight back and then you draw the minion aggro, then the minions are just trucking you, right? So, you know, that kind of felt off. If you're if you're crashing a 12 stack minion wave into them, like you also don't need to be hitting them with minion aggro as well. Like we felt like that was a bit excessive in terms of dive strength. Um, so we wanted to nerf that a little bit as well. So now when the minions go into the tower, they aggro into the tower. Um, so both those changes combined, I think reduce the incidents of dives by a little bit like successful dives you need to play a little better around um coordinating your dive and it's a little less free than it was before but for the most part you wouldn't really notice a large difference unless you were comparing like a to b it's like oh i had 12 minions in this exact <laughs> scenario in the previous patch and now i have 9.5 minions right like no one's doing that yeah but no. that's <laughs> actually what's happening right yeah so I, I got a question from someone this was from my community asked this question um how do you guys feel right about the cadence of balance changes in season 13 so far it's not the first time we've had a big mid-season patch, but it felt a little awkward having huge changes only a couple of patches before the end of the new rank split. Uh, maybe it's hard to coordinate in advance around play schedules, the rank schedule, right, summer break, etc. But I'm mainly wondering if they have any learnings that will apply for next split or next year, or if they're just happy with the outcome. Yeah, so it was a little difficult to coordinate this year. Like, um, I think, you know, like I said, we the gameplay teams and the rank team um a separate teams and requires some coordination to get that going and we kind of we had intended for because the whole point of like doing a ranked reset ideally is that comes with some gameplay changes right like that's why we reset the ranks at preseason right so you're playing a different game so it's a little awkward if the changes come right before the end of the season uh, right before the end of the split yeah having said that like i felt like we had a good amount of time to stabilize like if you're climbing now in this last week like it's pretty reasonable like the, the patch feels all right um but ideally you know w we would like to release the changes and then reset the ranks like that would be ideal but um for whatever reason our like timelines got desynced a little whether it's because like engineering for the ranked resets was you know ran into some um problems or our changes were ready a lot earlier or whatever and we didn't feel like we wanted to hold them um 
yeah, I think we just decided to just put them out like in June or whatever it was. Um, but ideally, we would want to release them at the same time so that we reset the ranks and people have new content to play. Um, so yeah, makes sense. I wanted to ask about uh, just out of curiosity. We, we last episode we talked a bit about game time. Uh, there was a big thing in, in MSI, a big topic. I, I wonder if this affects general play, solo queue play, where, uh, you know, Jinx was really prevalent and stuff, and people were just winning games off one team fight. Like, you would just end the game. Mm. You know, people just... Yep. Have you found game time lower at all in general? From or is that more... Game time has been very stable for the last, I want to say, year, actually. Okay. Um, it's roughly around, like, 29 minutes. Like, 29, 28 to 30 minutes is generally the sweet, sweet spot for, like, the average game. Um, at high elo, that's quite a bit faster. Like, it can get down to, like, 25, 24 minutes on average. Um, uh, but then, you know, for the average player, 28 to 30 minutes is about a good amount to have, like, a laning phase. You know, plates fall at 14. Then you have, like, some back and forth for when Baron spawns. And then you have... You know, like people are only realistically projecting threat in average games on Baron at like 22 to 23 minutes. So you have like, you know, I'm saying nine minutes there, and then you have like seven minutes after that. So like that feels like about reasonable. Um, so I think we're pretty happy with that game time. At Elite, it's a little fast, I would say, for whatever reasons, whether it's like people are giving up and <laughs> wanting to go next, or people are really good at snowballing leads or a combination of both, or the champions that are played, you know, like predominantly a lot more early game champions get played in the lead. Um, and people are obviously not very good at closing out games in regular play. So um, combination of those, but I would say game time's in a pretty good spot overall. And snowballing's in a decent spot overall as well. I would say, though, with the Jinx thing, um, I, I think it was, like, those two T1 games that they were playing where they just, like, you know, aced them at the mid in the yeah, turret or whatever, and then they just ran and it ended. <laughs> like, it's cool that to have champions that do that. Right? Like, And I think that was a Jinx-specific thing, because I think if you were to plug in Caitlyn or something, right, like, they wouldn't end the game there. They would probably maybe get away with killing one Nexus turret, and then, you know, enemy team would spawn, and have, they'd have to back off. And it's kind of cool... You know, for Jinx's thematic, that she has a thing where it's like, oh, it's so explosive. Like, the game is so explosive. Like, you know, and there's ways you can play around it, right? It's like, don't go in 1v5 when you're the last person standing and you need to hold off the push against Jinx, <laughs> right? Like, that adds some interest to the game, you know? Like, um, so I think if it was happening with every champion, then yeah, that would be a problem. But I think because it was limited to just Jinx, like, I believe the two blow through cases were only Jinx. Um, and I think it's it's all right. We did discuss some uh, designs where we could prevent blowthroughs. Because I think, generally speaking, especially in pro games, when blowthroughs happen, it's pretty unsatisfying of an experience. Um, even though it's nice to, you know, like blowthroughs allow for comebacks, like if you can think of it that way. Like, let's say you your team's really ahead and then you like giga throw and you get aced in the late game. Like, having a blow-through in that situation is really cool, right? Like, you're down 10k gold, and you're like, oh, if we just ace awesome. them in one team fight, like, cool. we can win the game, right? And that's a cool experience, right? Like, that's something that's really memorable. So if we were to change anything about blow-throughs, we would lose those as well. Mm. Which is like, is that worth it? Like, um, I don't sure. think so, on balance, but maybe, maybe it's worth it. Um, mm. I'm not sure. 
such a theme this is like a theme throughout this entire episode and your entire job it's literally like okay if we do that what's gonna happen on the other side if we do this what's gonna happen there it's literally the the definition of just visualizing what what would happen if yeah yeah there's like 500 of these ifs like you know like scales like okay well if this happens then this happens and then if this happens then this happens if we change this about this item then that's this gonna happen if we release this mechanic and this champion then that's gonna happen you know like that's (laughs) that's basically my job in a nutshell and that's only the balance part that's not even including like because right now we're in we're in the we're deep in the um in the what do you call it we're deep in preseason development right now so it's just like uh uh, you know like night like 80 percent of my day is like preseason like for the last like few months Mm. so it's like you know balance is like you know it's important but it's like you know getting preseason testing all of these different things because the thing that you guys end up with at preseason is going to be version 55 or something right mm-hmm. like it's we, we'll have like tested so many different things by the time we release whatever we have that that is the actual challenging part of it like balancing it is is a lot easier yeah. than um actually designing it in my opinion and i was gonna ask i don't, I don't think we should ask about the stuff about emerald tier and because that's not really his forte yeah Prox's yeah. Forte. yeah i mean I, I mean i think um i actually have a curiosity in terms of about um has there been more change? I mean, I can talk about it. It's just, I, I yeah. I, I was just going to ask, um, yeah, okay, I mean, I guess we can talk about it. Because um, we've talked about it on the podcast and the other episode about how it would, um, how it's going to, I mean, we Okay, of, what their forecast, what, so it's in forecast. like what the forecast is meant to be, right? And like, so a lot of the silver players are going to be all now gold and sometimes maybe even like there's some like low plat or whatever. And then like all the gold players are going to be plat and whatever so everyone's being pushed up in a way right which i think you know i it's good right because now it's going to be a lot more flat in a way with like the the distribution of the player base throughout all the ranks that makes more sense you know we're we're thinking of it from the side of okay how what is the average player experience in their journey because we all know ranked is an incredibly emotionally taxing thing like like when you get a rank or when you get lp you lose lp it's you know it's we're not logical about it it's like it's not like we're gonna be like oh this is what ryan intended and you know i'm you know i'm now this rank <laughs> it's like no we're gonna be emotional about it and then it's it's gonna take some time to adjust like i i, I think like the way we're viewing it is that there's gonna be some adjustment period there's gonna be some happy people not happy people and it's, it is what it is and i feel like a month's gonna pass and everyone's gonna be happy chappy we'll be the first month's gonna be chaos People are going to lose their minds a little bit. Everyone's going to be like, oh my God, I'm in this rank and there's going to be the ranked anxiety. I've never been platinum in my life and now I'm platinum. Oh my, I'm in plat two now. Oh my God. You know, what do I do? So, yep. but they'll wear off. Yeah. Just, time will, time will, you know, yeah. do its thing really. I mean, for the most part, people are going to go up. I think it makes your jobs kind of a little easier in the sense that people are more frequently going to be reaching these milestones. So it's not like a oh, you know, like, I have so much anxiety about getting gold, you know, like, it's like, oh, well, actually, like, during the season, you're going to go through silver and then through gold and then through plat, probably, right? And and so it's it's going to, having more frequent milestones just makes it easier for you guys as coaches because, in my opinion, at mm. least, well, as, as a former coach as well, right? And it's like, if you have achievable goals, you can be like, okay, well, 
this is what a plat player does generally, and this is what a gold player does generally. And you know, like previously, you'd be have to be you'd have to be like, well, this is what a gold two player does, right? Yeah. Like, this is just like it's it's just like some yeah, random it's, it's arbitrary. Random. And it's like, so thing, different. Right? Like this... it becomes easier to breakpoint like what people are doing. Hundred percent, because there's such a big difference between like a platinum one player and a platinum four player. Like it's ginormous, yeah. Yeah. you know, and it's yep. currently yep. stage like or a D two and a D four, you know, like these massive jumps. Yeah, well, we, we the interesting yep. Yep. gap that we talked about, we found is that we think silver one players are actually pretty good at the game. Yeah, um, yeah. and yeah. the gap between silver one and like, like iron and bronze is like gigantic. Like, yeah. So to, to be clear, like we've structured our program so we have like. Well, it's like kind of like a below gold and above gold type thing, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, coming in, our we had no idea how to really conceptualize what, what, like what, what does a silver two versus a bronze three really look like? And right. the conclusion that we've both come to, just like just in our own experiences, like oh wow, a silver two player is quite good at the game. Like they're actually pretty good at the game. They're not what I would think is really even a, a beginner. beginner. Yeah. They're not even a beginner. <laughs> they like know, a silver like, player is the, not a beginner. They all know they they know all the abilities, the yeah. Yeah. abilities, champions, people like, for the most part. Identities. For the most part. And then, but whereas like, you know, you, you can't even it's even scary to recommend the same type of champion for a silver player versus like a, a bronze player. Because they're just it's just night and day difference in terms of like their their competence right. over the game. So there's something we've realized, wow, there actually is a very, very steep jump between bronze one, silver two, you know, things that we've kind of experienced as well. So that's been very interesting. Seeing that. Yeah. Journey. Did you guys play in um, PC bongs when you were in Korea? Yeah. Yep. And so I, I had this funny story because when I went to Korea last time and I was playing, uh, I was playing on, on one of the Riot accounts, right? And that was, you know, challenging for me because it was like, you know, in roughly Master Tier. I, I, did, I did fine. I was like six and six or something. But I was um, sitting next to some guy who was playing Riven and, I, and he was just like doing the most insane Riven stuff. I was like, huh? And then like he loaded into the game and, he, and I saw the silver border. I was like, what on earth? Like that was absurd. Like I could not believe it. Like the, the mechanics that the guy was doing in silver were just like eye-poppingly like crazy. I was just like, this is absurd. Then when I was playing in the games, I was like, oh, Okay, I see. Like, you know, everyone's four people are ganking this Jax while they're obviously posturing around Baron. And it's, it's like we, we, we're in like Masters games where we're like, oh, going to kill this Jax and the enemy team just takes Baron. I'm like, what are we doing? Like, yeah. it just makes no yeah, sense. It's like, no, what's all interesting, hands like it's definitely, like, definitely the case. Because you've been around for quite a long time. You've been, you know, playing Leaf for such a long time. We, we've all kind of seen kind of the evolution of what a lower elo player is in a way where you know when we played not everyone had Mm. good kind of mechanics like you would think of like a a gold player back you know say season two season three they were real like mechanically not even remotely competent with the game whereas nowadays the average silver player horrible yeah, yeah, but, we, but but nowadays the average silver player can be mechanically competent. Mechanics aren't, and like overall champion, like their ability to control a character is not the key differentiating fat- factor for the most part for the average player. Like in gold, yep. everyone has pretty good mechanics for the most part. Like 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 yep. low gold is like crazy to me. Like that took ages for me to like really you know, really kind of reconcile because for us, that was mm-hmm. not the case whatsoever. Like the average like season two, three, yeah, season two, three, four, like, you know, that goal player didn't even have, they had, didn't have the knowledge and they didn't have the mechanics. Yeah. Now the goal players, they have the mechanics, but they don't have the knowledge. Yeah. And, the, and, and we had this discussion last on last week's episode. We were saying like, what is, 
what is league going to look like? What is the like the average silver player going to look like in 10 years? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. how high is that kind of barrier to entry going to be just over just as the game becomes more sophisticated, you know? It's going to be very interesting mm-hmm. with all, you know, obviously educational content is getting better. There's more coaching is becoming more accessible. Coaches are getting better now, you know, nowadays. Um, you know, what is the average beginner's experience going to be like in league? Imagine if you hadn't touched right. a PC game. But then in saying that, right, like, you know, the amount of people that haven't touched a PC game you know, until they're 21 is probably going to be less and less in the future as well though, right? Like given how mm-hmm. integrated, you know, computer gaming is. And online and people Online gaming, COVID. everyone's working from home. PC, yeah. like being on a PC is normal. Like remember, like I don't know about you, like in school when we were younger, like if you, when we were in primary school, if you played computer games, like you played, it was like, what the hell? Like there was like two people in my entire, <laughs> two people in my entire year level that actually played a game on a PC. Yeah. Like no one even owned right. a PC, let alone they just played yeah. consoles. Yep. But that's that's it's kind of gone the complete other way, hasn't it? Like no, not yeah. many people play consoles. Everyone plays PC now. It's kind of interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, one thing that we often observe is that new players will try and use WASD to like move. Because oh, clicking yeah. to move is, um, it's a very RTS, like StarCraft, WarCraft type of concept, right? It's very intuitive. And so... we still have that concept. It's very archaic, right? Like it's not a modern day control scheme at all. Mm. Um, so it's like, it's very interesting. Um, interesting. Yeah. Talking about educating the player base. Um, <laughs> what's right? Like right generally, we, we had a, another topic that we talked about a couple of uh, weeks ago, or a couple of months about... Riot don't really do too much of a good job of like educating new players. Like there's still in stuff in the club. Obviously the tutorial, we sort of talked about how the tutorial was like, did a really bad job. Well, yeah. We don't think the quality of the tutorial is, is obviously, is that amazing? Yeah. Do you guys sort of just think it's just better to leave it to oh, for sure. YouTubers and like the general player base to like, it's, it's, it's not that it's better to leave it. It's, it's just like a, well, so so there's a few things, right? Like one, you know, direct instruction, like people giving direct instruction is oftentimes a lot more useful than tutorials. Like generally speaking, like people click through tutorials very often, mm. right? Like I click through tutorials when I play like Lost Ark or something, right? Like I'm not sitting through the tutorial. I'm just like clicking through the tutorial. And I'm doing my thing, right? Get in and play. Um, you know, like we know pe- people don't do that, right? And And for the most part, like, especially for League um, and things like that. Like, usually if you're playing League, you're playing with a friend, and a friend is teaching you how to play the game. And ultimately, that's going to be very effective, um, like quite effective. I wouldn't say it's that we don't prioritize it. It's that we need to figure out a way to do something that's better than tutorials, right? Because tutorials are, like, expensive to make. They get outdated. They need to be localized. Like, it doesn't even really teach you the game, like, the way that, you know, me or you guys would want to teach someone the game, mm-hmm. right? Like I would want to teach them about trading. And, but mm-hmm. the, you know, those things are just like such complicated concepts. It's like, you need like a world-class tutorial builder to like actually teach those concepts. And that takes a lot of resources and things like that. Right. And so it's like, if you were to ask me, and again, I'm not in charge of this thing, but it's like, would I rather have 20 developers working on a tutorial or would I would rather have 20 developers working on making more changes for the actual game? and having friends teach their 
friends how to play the game, right? Mm. Like, I'd probably choose the latter one. Maybe I would just siphon off, like, five or ten people to to maybe... There, there are some points in the onboarding flow that are, like, uh, people bounce off pretty regularly, like helping somebody find their main role or helping somebody find the first champion. Like, certainly we should invest in more in, in something like that. Um, but, you know, like, building full-fledged tutorials, like, those things, you know, they're so expensive. They have, like, a lot of downsides to them, the development costs, they get outdated, et cetera. So, you know, if you were to ask me, <laughs> would I rather spend 20, person, 20 people, you know, working on this thing or 20 people working on gameplay i would probably rather have them work on gameplay right? i think that makes sense yeah i mean that's true this guy i mean even for us with our coaching programs we got to update stuff all the time i mean builds champion even champ identities yeah, but, that's, but that's the great thing about league yeah. because it is updated consistently and they're all you guys are always making changes it's fresh and it's fun and it's exciting it's challenging and that's one of the things we love about league the most mm -hmm. like you're forced to adapt you can't just develop this one skill set that you've had for 10 years and then rest on your laurels and then that's it you're always forced to adapt and get better and learn new things and figure shit out and that's that's what makes league that's mm. that is fundamentally in my opinion the number one reason why league is as popular as it is comparatively to what other other games out there like you know and and other um uh co game companies like valve like you know they, they're just terrible slow to update things uh, uh, updating their games you know and league yep. is so 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 good yeah. at making it fresh you imagine know? if we were like right now still in like season we'll just chip it we would just get into season five right now you know what i mean like scary to think about. <laughs> yeah yeah well the game which wouldn't be like well, guys we've been playing in rexai farm alarm cinder hulk meta for like <laughs> yeah, playing, three years like, please years. change something <laughs> yeah. yumi just took forever took yeah like four yumi's years. still like it was on release <laughs> right yeah that would be that would be difficult has the has the right team expanded? Yeah, it's nice to have the patch cycle. Out of curiosity, like, is there? I feel like there's so many changes this year. Is that normal? Like, or is this just recency bias? Have you guys got more people, or is it the same amount of people? Uh, we did get more people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I think, you know, people have mentioned it in other places, but uh, I think in general, like, league's gotten a good amount of funding this year relative to previous years, um, and so you know, we're using that in various ways. Um, our team in particular has been, uh, you know, like people have been having to do preseason and balance at the same time, you know, pretty consistently for the last few years. Um, so nowadays there's uh, like Freak is more focused directly on balance rather than having to work on balance and preseason. Um, I get to spend more of my time overseeing uh, preseason directly as well as balance like on the days that i need to think about balance so in general like we have a lot more a lot more firepower to be able to to handle both of those things and spin up new work streams as well and loan people out so for example like the new arena mode like we had the number of people yeah. that we were able to sense send a few designers over to help them build the mode and then they would come back after so we wouldn't have enough people to have done that in the past Awesome. So, yeah. Um, nice. Do you want to start a lot more management overhead for me? But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's um, nice to have that amount of people. Do you want to start wrapping it up soon, Nathan? Yeah, I just wanted to ask about uh, the jungle changes. Finish off with the jungle changes mm -hmm. this year. This is going back again. Like, just curious about all, all the changes because I feel like this year was so many jungle changes, right? Like, you know, I got some written down here. 
you know, you, we obviously had the 20% counter jungle debuff that came in and then you guys reverted. Uh, Rift yep. Herald, one and a half plates, two and a half plates. Uh, the, gro- the the path in, like Red Raptor's Gromp was just, is now sort of an obsolete path. Now it's Red Krug's Raptor is very intuitive. I like that change. I think that's really good. What are you, where are you guys at with jungle? Like what's going on? Are you guys happy with, I guess the big preseason change initially I'll start with is the clearing. Are you guys happy with the, the more simplicity of the clear? You think it's a good balance of simplicity plus there's a level of skill to it still? Yeah, I think there's a, I think it's better now that we reverted the counter jungling change. I think the counter jungling change was a bet that we were making that, you know, at least when we had like player labs and things like that, they, uh, it was testing pretty well with them. Like, oh, you're less likely to get counter juggled in that. You know, because if you remember, the, the changes that we were doing were to get more people to play the jungle role. So like at yeah. the time, jungle for average play was by far the least picked role. And now it's, you know, in a very healthy spot. It's like the third most picked. So we succeeded on that avenue. Um, It is slightly more powerful than it was before in some skill brackets. Um, So I think uh, in particular, I haven't been super happy with how powerful the um, early ganks are on top lane in particular. Um, uh, So we might make some like power redistributions to that. um, I think in 13, 14. But overall, I think it's been pretty good after we refer to the counter jungle changes because the counter jungle changes like limited so many options. Like it, it resulted directly in the gank bot meta because there was no counterplay. Like if the person ganked bot, you couldn't actually go counter jungle their top side because yeah. it was too hard to kill. There was a very right? So common now situation. the game tree is better. There was a very common situation with the counter jungling changes. Like I just changed a whole different concept exactly. with specifically. There's a lot of there's a point in the game where the enemy's second spawn like their second red buff or something spawns and you have the option to do like the enemy jungle gank bot you have the option to either do herald or take all their topside camps and yep. before it was you always take like most of the time their topside camps because you just generate such a huge experience in goal and it's very quick but through that change you have to completely change that concept it's like you actually yeah. have to take Herald. It's actually better to take Herald because it just takes too long to take those camps, especially for certain junglers. Right. Farming junglers were more right. able to do that. So, like, that had a huge impact on, like, this decision-making in terms of jungle. And, I, yeah, I really was yeah. not a fan of it at all. Yeah, we did not. Yeah, we didn't We didn't like how it was playing out. So, you know, just went back on that one. And I think, you know, that had a pretty drastic uh, change in jungle popularity, actually, surprisingly. You know, it increased by something like five or ten percent just on account of making that change. Because then I guess people aren't getting counter jungles, and they're like, "Oh, that makes the role more fun," or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it gives option. It gives options back, right? Like you, you no longer felt like you just had to helplessly watch as your bot lane got murdered while you had no options like to do mm-hmm. anything, right? Like, um, but I think, yeah, in general, I would say jungle's in a pretty good spot. I think. The meta at the top level has been a little stale with Vi Wukong um, just being there all the time. There's a lack um, of carry jungles yeah, right now in competitive. Is that something you guys are looking at too much? or you? Yeah, I mean, we buffed, we buffed Lee Sin last patch. Uh, we buffed Nidalee. Um, we nerfed Vi and Wukong, so I think that will... Um, help a little the bit. Junglers, yeah. uh, we were considering buffing Viego, but actually Viego's like doing decently well. Um, I think Viego really I mean, loves the Kindred's been really strong the yeah. last few patches. Yeah, yeah, though, Kindred, yeah. Say, as a carry jungler. Um, That's true. So I think 
uh, yeah, overall, we're pretty happy with it. I think just early early gank lethality is something that um, I think we kind of made a bit of a um, cha philosophical change with um, junglers not having to purchase items early, basically. Um, and that allowed them to buy, you know, double longsword in their first base, for example, and that increased their lethality in the early game by a lot. Um, so I think we want to figure out a way to reduce that lethality somewhat. Um, so we're going to nerf early red buff a little bit um, and see if there's any more places, and then give some power back in in the um, in the more scaling portions of the role because I think they're a little too influential in determining lane outcomes right now like especially if you consider you know comparing it back to like season two to season five or something like season two to season six like jungle is early were kind of like bots right like yeah they bought skirmishes safe. they were investing the first 1000 gold into an item that gave no combat stats right gave us more they gold were way right? less lethal heart of gold yeah like you had to buy no you had to buy skirmish yeah well in season two you had to buy heart of gold but in season like four let's say you had to buy Skirmish's saber, uh, yeah, right. Just helped in season games. three. You had to buy Spirit Stone, wasn't, right? Was, and I think that was generally pretty healthy there. for the role. Riggles landed with the ward. Didn't it have a ward. Or that was yeah, yeah. Riggles yeah. landed. That got nerfed pretty yeah, quickly, though. I think. I think it was overtuned originally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, my point is that, like in seasons past, junglers had to invest their first one k gold into an item that gave no combat stats, and that basically reduced the lethality of early jungle ganks in the game by a significant amount whereas now because you buy your jungle item with your first yeah. um you know shop and then you base and then you buy two long swords like that's a massive swing in terms of like yeah it's a good point i didn't think about that that's true yeah we're way stronger early first on ganks are yeah so i think that has room to come down a little bit i don't know what we need to do to make that true um but I would say reducing that by like 10 to 15% and then putting that power back into late game scaling or like the gold that you get from like farming the jungle monsters or something like that seems reasonable. Like it would make everyone a little more happy. I think laners would be happier and junglers would be happier because the benefit for farming camps would increase a little. So we need to figure out how to do that. I'm not exactly sure of the best way to do it right now, but it's something that we're looking at. All right, well, sort of lastly, Proxon, can you give us any teasers on the uh, preseason? Is it going to be a big one or a small one? <laughs> um, I will say that it's not going to be a small one. Interesting. But I won't say whether it's going to be a big one or a moderate-sized one, but it won't be a small one, yeah. Okay. Would you say that the last one was a small one? I would say last one's a small one, yeah. All right. That's good uh, as a reference It was just point. like localized <laughs> to jungle role, basically. Yeah. Um, I mean, we did jungle item... We did jungle changes and we did tank item changes. Those were the main things, I think. We did some mage item changes that... There was a few mage items, right? Like got shipped in 13.1. Was it Rower? We or added Archangels. Archangels? And we added uh, Rower. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um... Well, thanks for I coming mean, I on. I think that preseason was pretty good, but yeah. And thanks for taking the time again. Uh, it's our yearly check-in. Yep. See what Ryan's <laughs> up to. Yeah, yeah. philosophy, get the Anytime. thought process. Yep. And um, yeah, well, I mean, hopefully, maybe you do a check-in at the end of the year or something. I think this time of year is good because 
uh, yeah, we, yeah, like anytime. I think I think preseason's like sort of like a bit of a shit mm. show, you know what I mean? And it's sort of like get into the middle. It's like what's the reflection mm. of the preseason? How are we going? And what's the, like the next couple of mm. months going to maybe look like? You know, so I think that this time of the mm. year is actually the sort of the perfect time to do the check in and yeah. sort of <laughs> see how it's how everything's gone. Are you happy with the mm. preseason and stuff like that? You know what I mean? Good point. Yeah, I mean it's been a tumultuous year, right? Like we had Zeri and me. We had you know big midseason changes. We had you know like preseason jungle changes and all of the role balance stuff it's been a it's been a pretty interesting like year. so much has happened <laughs> so yeah. much has happened in a short period of time it's crazy yeah like it you goes like so that? fast or, or not really it goes so fast and it's just a blur it's like and then it was like yeah the the mage item changes and then the jungle changes and there's Cassante and then zeri yumi and then asol gets added in and then the nico and this is this is like a blur this is so much stuff that's happened but it's good. Mm-hmm. Makes it exciting. Yeah. I like it. I think the game's definitely I'm very, very happy with the game direction, yeah. I think. And everyone in, in my program, by the way, they all think that the game is really like feels really good, feels really balanced, and they're really happy with like the way the it's game awesome. is feeling overall. So like feels really diverse and yeah, really good. Keep yeah. it up, Roxon. I'm hoping to um kind of communicate more with um with the community, like in the next few months, I think at least. Um See how that goes. What would that look like? Is that more like uh, YouTube content on the league main channels, or I'm mean, obviously you're big on or Reddit, or um, I don't know, a bunch of like Reddit stuff, like Twitter things. Like I do the patch preview stuff. I was thinking of doing like kind of weekly Q and As and things like that. Oh, that'll be um, cool. nice. Going more podcasts and stuff like with you guys or with other people that are not gonna just <laughs> shit on us, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um. And and I think it's it's nice with you guys because you guys um you know obviously are pretty into the game right so we can talk pretty in depth about certain things right it's not going to be like I don't know I went to talk to some person that like barely plays the game right like I can I can talk about hey it's what it was in season four and you guys would know what I'm talking about mm. right yeah. great all right any last words Proxon awesome. any, any shout outs or anything like that nope. All right. Beautiful. Uh, good luck to all your students on the, on the climbs, I guess. Awesome. <laughs> Since you guys are packing it up, I'm I'm doing my last push as well. Yeah, so. ten days good left. Luck, I think yeah, uh, the time's recording. Got ten days left. So the last bit of grind in. Yeah. Well, the, our our message to our students is <laughs> yeah, you know, the work's days. done. You know, we're not studying for a test. You know what I mean? Hey, like... it's not for him. He's got this. Is it? <laughs> all right. This is his the last time. rush. The cram time. Cram time. <laughs> all right. Yeah. All right. Catch you guys later. Catch you guys. Have a good one.